Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series. Brought to you by the New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. All right, everybody, welcome. Welcome to the uh, New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. This is the 265 Police Live series. Uh, this series hosted by Eric Dim. I'm just coming out and giving the introduction because on this episode, we're going to have a, a guest of ours from the community, from the Bronx community. Uh, he wants to be referred to as Rich from the Bronx. He listened to Eric's damn podcast, episode 12 and 13, um, and he wanted to weigh in. He, you know, he's had some – I spoke to him offline briefly. He's had some positive experiences with the NYPD. He's had some – uh, negative experiences with the NYPD, and he just wants to give a point of view from the public. Um, you know, and we're not going to get too personal in him, but we're going to go on how he grew up. He's a New York City kid. He's a lifelong New York City kid, and you know, he just wants to weigh in on some of his opinion opinions as a member of the public. Uh, you know, uh, Eric is is here with us, and and you know, he had some questions for Eric and myself as well. So, uh, you know, with that, I I want to introduce everybody to Rich Richie from the Bronx. And uh, Rich, thank you for coming on. If you could just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, where you're from. Well, I'm, I'm from the Bronx and I, uh, I grew up here in the Bronx and um, I have my own I have my own business here. I started as a worker and now I'm the owner of the company. And I had, you know, from growing up because I grew up in New York City housing, too. Um, I had good experience with the NYPD, but I also had, you know, my bad experience. So that's something I want to share because, you know, we can't just keep pointing fingers with each other. We got to, you know, try our best to everybody come with the same common ground of sentence that a lot of people lost, especially after the pandemic. No, absolutely. Um, so would you be willing to share, um, let, let's let's start with the with the with a positive experience and then let's move over to the negative. Like what would you say? Actually, let me ask you this. How was New York City when you were growing up as a kid? It was it was actually, you know, it wasn't it wasn't very good, but at least the area I was at. But just looking back at it now, it was definitely it was definitely better now. I mean, it was definitely better before than and how things are going right now. Things now are very, very horrible. And, and like, I, and you say you say things were are were better then. And, and as far as like, what do you what do you mean? Like the the quality of life, like the level of crime, like what specifically do you think was was better at growing up than it is now? The the bad guys that was always on the street, they always had some type of fear against the police and. That sometimes it kind of it, it kind of puts the brake on them for a second, you know, like, hey, we can't do anything back because the cops, you know, they're going to get us like us in two seconds if we do anything wrong. Now there's no fear. Now it's like, in fact, they'll just do it right in front of you guys. I'll be like, wow, like, this is this is ridiculous. Like, 
Yeah, so, I mean, you know, me, me, Eric, you, we're all pretty much New York street kids. We grew up, you know, with not a lot of means. Uh, grew up around in apartment buildings. You grew up in NYCHA. Eric grew, grew up right next to NYCHA. I grew up in an apartment building. Um, so you had your run-ins with the police at that time, right? Like, we, we're New York City kids. We were always getting stopped by the police, right, as kids, like, just messing around. It's not a, a, a residential suburban environment where you're going to just – you know, where you're not going to run into the police. The police are a part of daily life. So growing up, like what, what interactions did you have? Like, what would your thoughts of the police growing up? Like, what you, would you think about the NYPD when you were growing up? Well, um, first, I, the very good experience I had with the police was when I was seven or eight years old, where, um, you know, I had this relative that lived with me, but she had a lot of, you know, mental really mental issues. And that day I was scared for my life because she was chasing me all over the house with a knife. And I believe the neighbor was the one that called the cops. And that's when the cops, they came, they came at the right time. Cause I was just running and running and running. Once I heard that door banging, I, I didn't know who it was. I just went for it. I, I just went for it. And then they came and then they saw how like they saw how like scared I was and everything. I was only like, I believe seven or eight years old. I'm not too sure. One of those two. But um, they came in and you know, luckily you know nobody you know that day I was seven or eight. I was really scared for my life. I wanted to I wanted to leave the apartment and I wanted to see my relative get locked up. But the cop didn't lock anybody up. But everything went very well. He spoke to the relative, spoke to my mother. Ever since that day, that never happened. That never happened. And and honestly, I hope if those two cops was to ever listen to this, you know, a, a huge shout out to you guys. I was only like seven or eight years old. Now I'm 26. I hope hopefully they if they're in the job or not, to, I want to say God bless them because they really made an impactful moment when I was uh, very young. And I wanted to be a cop ever since then. Yeah. So, so growing up, you wanted to be a cop and then you like cops from an early age, from eight. Uh, yeah. So then how did you come to like, and now you're in your teens, like how did it, what, what negative experiences did you have growing up with the police? That's when I started becoming a teenager and started hanging out with some friends out of school and stuff. Some was, you know, some was just good friends and then some they was good but they was into bad stuff and and uh like but like minor things we're talking about like probably that's when we wasn't legal smoking weed and stuff like that as a teenager yeah i had been bad interactions but i sure had some good interactions some of these cops they you know they look at us like yo you, you know you could be my son or you could be you could be my nephew or something like that so some of the, not all the time was bad interactions. Sometimes they'd be like, yo, just, you know, well, why you want to just stand in the corner? Just get out of here. Like, we don't want to, if we see you, we're going to keep messing with you. But otherwise in that, like, do something better than to do something in the corner. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm not, you know, I was still young and dumb. Some, some advice I listened, most of it I didn't, but, but that's how it is. We live and we learn, especially at that age, like at 13, 14 or 15. <clears throat> And uh, you wanted me to share like some of the um, 
you wanted me to continue sharing like some of the um, bad well, experiences you, you I had. You said you had some bad experiences with the NYPD. You know, um, you you don't have to get into the, like the specifics if you don't want to. But uh, you know, I I'm just you know I'm I'm curious like what you where you think at that time the the NYPD was like were they doing anything wrong or how'd you feel at that time? Do you feel like, how'd you feel about the police? Like I, you obviously do support the police. I could hear you just said that, you know, they saved your yeah. life as a youth and you've had negative and, and positive interactions with them. Um, but offline, you said you had some, uh, you know, you did have some negative. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what you think about, what, what you think about the department as you were growing up. Like, did you, did you feel that the work was being done properly. Did you feel that the police officers were doing what they should be doing when you were growing up? I feel, I, I really feel as in, I feel most, mostly, yes, is that nothing is ever a hundred percent, but most of it. Yeah. It was the department. They did his job and you know, the small portion of it, <laughs> yeah, I had, some negative experience, but I kind of think the the good always, uh, at least from what I experienced. Yeah, and did you feel at any point, you know, because we we got a huge rap when we were doing broken windows theory, when we were policing minor crimes. Uh, the rap on the NYPD was that we're policing minor crimes only in minority neighborhoods, going against black and brown kids. Did you feel? that it was any enforcement taking on you was done out of racism or was done out of just the element? Did you feel there was a racist element to the police department? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because most of the cops that stopped me were, were like me, Hispanic and black. They, 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 uh, they wasn't, in fact, most of the cops that, that worked in the um, precinct around where I used to live uh, were mostly minorities. I, I wouldn't definitely say racist. What I say is, what I say is, um, you know, just like anybody else, they had, they had, um, mm. they had good interactions um, inside. I guess like with their supervisors, and then maybe some of them are pretty bad because some of these cops, I see it, I see it in their face. Like you know, they, they really having a hard day. So instead of arguing with them, I, you know, even when they stop me, I try to you know talk to them, mm. listen to them, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, Some of no. them look like they really had a rough day, you know. And um, Eric, anything on his youth you want to ask him about? Anything going going back? Oh, absolutely. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the weekly series here at Two Sixty Five Police Live. We are the experts. We're here to give you an expert trained eye about policing. But I'm super excited about this particular podcast, and I want to thank you, brother. I want to thank you, Rich, for coming on and speaking to us. I'm not sure if we crossed paths in the in the past. I believe we did, uh, especially since, uh, since I spent uh, about eight years in the Bronx being very active out there. So, first of all, I think it takes extreme courage for you to come on this podcast and have an open discussion. And that's why John and I have, are put, putting this thing together. We're here to send a message. The message is about open discussion. And I'm pretty confident that as a community member that you have had open discussions. But here... You know, safety is paramount. The most important thing for us is that we maintain your safety. So, which is why we're not using your real name. So, what I'd like to ask you about is, as a community member, now, what 
do you think that you might be exposed to, or what could be the repercussions as a community member if you were to give your real name? Your real name. We don't want that, but what would be the re- repercussions? What would be the uh, what would be the response from your community if you actually provide your name and said where you lived and actually said your your opinion of what you feel about the police, good and bad? What would you say that reaction would be? Some, some from some community members, they might be good. Some of them are going to say you're brave for doing that, and then there's going to be a lot of them saying, "Like, dude, are you crazy?" They're going to start looking at me different. Like, they're going to probably assume that, "Yo, he's just a snitch. He talks to cops. He's friends with cops." Just because <clears throat> I support them, and yet again, I don't have a friend that's a cop. <laughs> yet again, just because I support them, this is what they're going to think automatically very automatically and it, it, it's really sad and then not only honestly you know words are just words but nowadays they it, it's like it's like just like the cops gotta be careful um from being from either like you know being recorded by a group that's just an, that's just anti-police that's not serving no community no no good at all and and those same guys will will also expose civilians like, yo, this guy, he, he talks to them, he, he's this with them, he's friends with them, he supports them. You know what? He's, you know what? If he supports them, you know what? He's racist, too. He's, he's racist, too. And, and, and it sucks because now it's like, wow, you're going to have a whole bunch of people thinking this, this, and that. And that's not what really it is. All because of some people don't like what you're supporting. And it's wrong. I got a question for you. There's a question that I always ask the kids that would join the PSA 7 Explorer program. Some of these kids were as young as 12. And so you said that you had a great interaction with seven or eight, but when you started to hit your teens, where some of the negative interactions started to ferment. And I do suspect that, you know, some of the guys you're hanging around with, just being in the community, you know, I, I, I would like to believe that they were looking out for you. You know, they didn't want you to be, become part of that. And they wanted to lead you in the right, the right path. So I always ask this question, and I, I, I'm just curious if you could give me your perception, your opinion. What is your vision of a good cop? When I say, what do you think is a good cop? What comes to mind for you? Oh, what is a good cop? A good cop, hey, it's just like, it's, um, he interacts, yeah, he interacts with the community, but like, as in like, you know, he interacts and show them like, you know, hey, I'm here for your safety. Um, when he see somebody, when he see somebody doing something wrong, he immediately arrests them. My vision, like my vision as a, as a good cop is, is more like, you know, you're just, you're making sure you're there for the people. No matter, there should not be a thousand rules. There should not be a thousand rules on how we should engage with the community. Cause, um, the, most of the time, honestly, I feel as if, I have better interactions with cops without body cameras than with it because, you know, we'll joke around with them like, oh, shit, look at this. He was like, he's like, oh, stop talking shit. Oh, blah, blah. You know, we, now they can't even now they can't even do that. And honestly, honestly speaking, like like it, it, I think it was much better before until over the years until all these things started changing. But yeah, a good cop is, you know, he answered every 911 call. I'm just going by like quick basic th- thinking, you know, um, answering all the 911 calls as the best, you know, he can, um, trying to fix the problem the best he can. Um, 
And yes, there's going to be times that a cop is going to be in, in a very vulnerable situation where, you know, he might have to put his hands on somebody because they're resisting arrest. They don't want to go. And leaving them in the street is not is not an is not a debate for you guys. You guys got to take this guy out the street and take him straight to the prison. John, you hear what he's saying? I'm so glad he's saying this because you and I have been talking about this over and over. John and I have, really, John and I have been talking about how the body cameras have really affected the, the relationship between the community and the police department. And they want to give this perception to the public that the body cameras is this magic potion that's going to fix all. And John, don't you feel, I mean, you and I have been talking about this. The body camera has been, the, has been infectious to this community relations. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it, particularly what you're talking about, it's exactly what we're talking about. I remember working in the South Bronx and, and even the guys, the young gang members that I had arrested in the past, listen, when they weren't up to no good, we were hanging out in the corner and they were joking with us and we would break their chops and they would break out. And we left and there were plenty of times we had, we had a great time together. You know, we were professionals, they were professionals and, and we were laughing together. We were having a good time. But John, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it took out the human interaction, you know, like I, like being a kid hanging out in the park, there were plenty of times I should have got a summons or I maybe even could have got arrested. And the cop just told me, you know, gave me some, gave me a piece of advice, whatever it was, and sent me on my way. And, you know, he didn't talk to me like, he didn't talk to me in a, in a professional manner. He talked to me down to me as from a figure of authority and almost in a caring way where now, you know, we don't have that human interaction anymore with, with the body camera because people are, are being afraid. So now if the, you know, a guy walks in the park, there's a condition in the park for kids hanging out in, in the park after dark, you know, what, what, what can he do? He's going to write you a summons because it's on video. Uh, his commanding officer could look at that and say, oh, we had a condition. Why didn't you write this? Why didn't you act? You failed to take police action. Right. And now basically be penalized for really being a human, you know, because, you know, I, the way I police, I always, you know, I always thought there's two sets of laws. Right. Uh, there, there's God's law and there's man's law. You know, I hold God's law in high esteem. And, you know, if you broke one of Chuck Schumer's laws and you parked three feet away from the fire hydrant instead of five, you know, I, I didn't think you were a terrible person. Maybe I would give you a summons, but I would never talk to you like you were a piece of shit, you know. So and I think like we're starting, <laughs> to, you know, and I think that maybe, you know, we're starting to lose that. Like we're and we're starting to lose that where like we don't we don't know the lines of what it is anymore. And everything is going to be uh, enforcement. Everything's going to be a negative interaction with the police when the police already have so much negative interaction just based on our job, you know? Hey, hey Rich, uh, I, John, no, Rich, I'm sorry. Uh, Rich, oh, sorry, I just want to expand. I, I, no, no problem. I just want to expand on that because, you know, that's something that we talk about. That There's laws. Here's the problem, I think, and with the community and the public and perceptions and particularly civilian complaint, the civilian complaint review board is that there's laws, but then there's rules. And rules, I'm a firm believer, that rules were made to be broken. So that's what John's talking about here. So we may have rules that we have to follow for certain things where we may have to give citations or, or summonses for particular situations or address them in a certain manner. But the beauty is we can break rules to build relationships with people in the community or maybe you know, let the kid go with certain, certain uh, situations. But with the body camera, 
that's when you feel, well, I can't break this rule because now I'm being critiqued. So I got a question for you with this. And the question for you, and I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable, but have you or has a family member or friend of yours and have, have they have made a civilian complaint against a police officer in, in your time uh, in the Bronx? Um, as no, I don't know. Honestly, none of them. Like I heard one friend, he had a, like a lawsuit. Well, yeah, he had a lawsuit, but I don't know if he had to make a complaint. I didn't really get into it. And you, you know, it's crazy. He actually worked for me. So, so I actually could find that. I could actually find out and probably tell you guys another time, but he definitely did get a lawsuit. I think it was, um, like regard, it was not, it wasn't like, um, not like police force. It was something with a car or something like that. They didn't return his car or something like that. I'm not sure. But uh, he actually worked for me. I probably could get another details and share with you guys in, uh, another time. But that's a good question. If Even if it's a small complaint like that, like something like a vehicle, like if a vehicle wasn't returned, what, would, for him to get that lawsuit, would he have to make a complaint to the CCRB first? Or how does that work? John, I'm gonna let you ask this one. That's that that's that's good. Wait, wait, repeat that again. I'm sorry, I missed that. What'd you say? I said, um, like, like it, my friend, he got a lawsuit, and yeah. you know, um, it, um, Eric was just asking me if I know any friends or family members that. Yeah, hey, no, I, I got that part. Yeah. Well, what was the last thing you said? Um. How, all right. So to get the lawsuit, like my friend, I'm just assuming. To get the lawsuit for um, the damage of his car or whatever, do he have to put in the complaint for um, the cop that took the car or something like that? I mean, yeah, he's definitely, fi- he's definitely filing a complaint with the Internal Affairs Bureau, which will be then forwarded to the CCRB. Um, 100%. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Basically, like, yeah, any lawsuit. What I, if any I do lawsuit, a lawsuit against him, yeah, you have to a- do this. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you're if you're saying that a, a police officer acted wrongly, yeah, you're gonna file a complaint against a specific police officer. You know, maybe if a brick fell off a building, one of the police department buildings, there'll be no, uh, you know, there won't be a, a, a an internal affairs uh, a complaint against an individual officer. But anytime there's officers involved, oh, I was arrested unlawfully, I was beat up, anything like that, yeah, uh, an, an internal affairs log will be generated, which will be forwarded over to the CCRB. Actually, you know what's uh, you know what I just hit me in the head because this was two years. This was uh, not two years. This was years ago. He actually that lawsuit was actually referred. That was actually his mother's lawsuit because the car was under his mother's name. But um, I know he had another lawsuit because I think they had must have um, arrested him by mistake for for like three days. I guess there's a and you know his name is common everywhere. So maybe. Maybe there was, there must have been a mistake. I would have to ask him, but I know I remember that time he did have a lawsuit separate between the car because he had to be in the bookings for three days or something like that. And then they find out that wasn't the person. Yeah. What, what about you? Did you have any interactions with police where you weren't doing the right thing and the police let you go or they took you in or you felt they acted improperly? Like, was there any incidents like oh. that? Um, yes. In fact, there was, uh, there was this one incident that I was tempting to, to actually file a lawsuit. Um, but at that time, at that time I was in probation. I was, uh, you know, I was 15. It was, uh, probation for like six months, but even still, you know, at that time they took probation more serious than, than, 
than pretty much now. But um, yeah, I was so I could say the story. Yeah, go ahead, shoot. Yeah, absolutely. We want to hear. Um, so yeah, I was with a friend. Um, it's a fit. It's a it's a five story building. I was with a friend, and then we had a group of friends that we. There was this like um, this guy. So we didn't have no places to smoke weed. So at that time, the cops was locking us for smoking weed anyway. So we had to find a place. <laughs> yeah. So we had to find a place, and we all. And, and, and it gets, we rather take the risk with the cops than our moms, but, but even still, we trying to you know, find mom, a place. Mama that ass. <laughs> She'll probably call you guys. <laughs> She'll probably call you guys. And I would have to run from both of you. But um, yeah, so at that time, um, he lived in the second floor. Then we had this person on the fifth floor. We used to just, all right, we'll give you a pack of smokes, whatever. Let's smoke weed in your house, whatever. And uh, at that time on the fourth floor, there was a guy, you know, he used to call the police a lot, like a lot. He like for the smallest things. I think it was it was even like the smallest thing, even a random person walking in the building. Like it, it, he was really that bad. He was really building bad interactions with the communities. But anyways, he called the cops on our friends that was in that guy's house on the fifth floor. And me and my friend is in the second. We're like, yo, let's go upstairs and smoke with them. But we're trying to be greedy. Like, nah, let's just us two smoke the weed. There's like 10 people up there. They're going to smoke it. We ain't going to get high. <laughs> so we're like, all right, we'll stay in the second floor. The guy on the fourth floor called the cops on the guy on the fifth floor, which is where my friends were staying at. The two cops came and right, right, they, they came for him. Uh, um, they came from uh, my friends on the fifth floor. They, they saw us on the second floor. They saw us smoking weed. And, and this cop was so mad. Like, he looked at very, he looked at very pissed. <laughs> he, um, he, saw, he asked my friend where he lived at. He lived in the apartment right there, right next to the um, door that we were standing and smoking at. He was like, go inside. And he asked me where I live at. I said, I live down the block. And I'm the one with the weed. I'm the one holding the blunt when he caught us. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm like, Damn, I'm in probation. That's all I kept thinking about. It's like, damn, 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 damn. This guy, he, and then he's just looking at me, and he just like, boom, he just slaps the blunt out of my hand. He took me down the ground. He started kicking my ass. I'm like, what the hell? He's, you know, he really kicked my ass really bad. And, and so wait, wait, uh, wait, wait. I, just, I, I just got one question. So <laughs> you, so the cop comes, the cop comes, and you got the blunt in your hand, and you just, you just froze with it in your hand. <laughs> Yeah, I like, yeah, I was, like you didn't try to hide it or nothing. <laughs> nah, I was 15. I was in probation. And at that time, the cops don't play that shit. Those three things had me like, oh. Uh, uh, so you didn't move. You just stood there with the blind hand. There was like a yes, picture. Yes. Please, I, I, All right. It was honestly, even if I wanted to run, there was no point. There's only one way in, one way out. And there's right, a small I, little bit. All right, you know? so because so, I, I didn't know, like, I didn't know if, like, you tried to hide it and then, like, he yeah. comes after you. Like, you know, I just wanted to clarify that. So you're standing there, you say, comes up, he smacks the blind of your hand. I'm sorry. And then he kicks your ass. Like, what happens specifically? <laughs> you know, sorry. I just wanted to. I'm not, la- I'm not laughing. You, I'm not laughing. You get your ass kicked, but you stand there holding a blunt. That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, was, I froze. I'm like, that's all I thought about was the probation. But yeah, he. Yeah, he kind of kicked my ass. He really kicked my ass kind of good. And he threw, um he was with a, a partner. I guess it was a fee. She wasn't really doing anything. It was it was all him, really. And uh, I'm like, damn. I'm like, yo, all I'm thinking about is, all right, I think this cop is going to – I don't know if he was going to continue. I don't know how long. 
all I said was, yo, I'm 15. And then he threw my eyes down the stairs and then he walked upstairs. He walked upstairs and he left me right there. And his partner walked right up there. So um, uh, my friends had called me later saying, yo, two cops had came inside the house. Where were you guys at? I'm like, yo, was it, was it a guy and a girl? I'm like, yeah, one of the guys just swapped my house just now. But anyways, um, he, he threw <laughs> me downstairs. He threw me downstairs. He kept, he, he went upstairs and, um, you know, he, I guess the blunt was still on the floor and I grabbed it and I, and I ran my ass straight home, ran my ass straight, straight home. He didn't ran my ID or anything like that. So you, st- you still made sure you got the blunt to go home? <laughs> I mean, yeah, back to get it. <laughs> that point, no, it was like, it, it was like, it was like, it was like right next to me. Like it was just falling in the floor and the stair was just like, it was, it was, was still burning. Running. It was still burning. Nah, it was off. It was, it was a half. So, <laughs> but, um, but, but, um, yeah, that was that time. I'm gonna be honest. I was like, I was very upset. Cause I'm like, damn, all he could have just did was, you know, I wasn't resisting arrest. I wasn't trying to run. He could have just easily, you know, slept the cuffs on me. But I'm glad he didn't because I was in probation. So if he would have ran my name, I would have been, I would have been screwed. So when you say he kicked your ass, I just, I just want to clarify it. Like, does he, were you injured? Did he like throw punches at you, slaps? Or does he just throw you on the ground and start searching you? Or does he just start kicking your ass? Like, like what? He threw, he threw me down the ground and then he started, uh, most of the time he was just, he was just doing kicks. He was kicking me in my back. He was like literally kicking. Was he saying anything or? Uh, nah, he was just he was just kicking my ass, and then um, he didn't say anything. He was just straight kicking my ass, and then I told him, I I told him I was fifteen. That's when he just I, I guess that's when he just threw me down the stairs. He called me a retard, and then he went upstairs to take care of that nine one one call, where my friends was at too. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm, his, I, I, his, yeah. I'm sorry, go, Eric. What do you say? No. I'm not trying to make light of the situation at all. I have a vision of what I think may have happened. When he took you down to the ground, was he actually kicking you or was he kind of just moving you to search you? I, I mean, because there is a difference. And I can imagine if you have to stay in a panic of what you feel. But, I mean, were you injured? Was he actually, like, field goal kicking you? Or- oh, no, nah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. Wait, it wasn't that serious. I didn't have to go to the hospital or nothing. That. You know, I didn't. Well, no, nah, it was not. It was not that crazy. It's not like I got cuts or bruises or nothing like that. I don't know, but I didn't. Yeah, but um, now nah, he didn't search me. He didn't. He didn't search me at all. In fact, I th- just thinking about it, I think I had more weed in my pocket at that time. He definitely didn't search me. <laughs> he definitely. He he was he was kicking me like he was literally kicking my back. Like he just threw me in the floor. And, and the reason why I ask you, this kind of stuff we take seriously. John and I spoke about this in the past. If someone is abusive and they're using too much force, believe me, we will weed them out. We police our own. That's why I'm asking. Right. Did, did, he, did he really? Oh, the partner. Did he, really, um, did, did he really hurt you, or was he kind of like grappling with you, moving you around? I, and, and 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 if you say he hurt you, I, I mean, I believe you. I'm just I'm really curious to hear what what you feel happened because. The definition of you getting your ass kicked is relative. For some people, it could be getting blows to the face. Were you injured, or, or was he just kind of just moving you around in, in, in a tough, in a tough love? That's what I mean. Was it was it tough love, or was it or was he actually hurting you? 
No, he was he was actually hurting me. The partner the partner is the one that actually stopped it because I said I was 15, and then she she just pushed him to the side, and then that's when he just stopped, and then that's when they went upstairs to respond to 911 call. So yeah, so at that partner, time, yeah. So the partner did police her partner, huh? So the partner did police her partner. The partner said, "Hey, this is enough." Yeah. The partner was yeah, aware. Yeah. They, yeah. That goes back to what I'm saying about policing each other. So, I'm happy to hear that. You know, that's that's good to hear. I'm not happy yeah, to was... arrested. <laughs> I'm just happy that, that she was aware of it and said, hey, listen, this is enough. Yeah, and uh, so that time I was really thinking about, like, yo, like, you know, a lot of people was talking about it. I was really thinking about doing a lawsuit because there was a camera there, and I know the bill, like, right in front of us, and I know the super there. But then my other friend, which was kind of weird because he, he, he hate cops. He's not, well, he's not my friend anymore, but... At that time, he was. He hate cops. But um, he even told me, like, yo, do you forget you in probation? I was like, yeah. He was like, so you sure you want to do this lawsuit? Because you know once you try to do something, they're going to try to come after you because that probation. You basically violated probation on that video. I was like, fuck, you're right. So I was like, you know what? I was like, you know what? You're right. And plus, I was 15. I was like, you know what? I'm just leave that shit alone. And besides, at the end, I looked at it. To me, I looked at it, you know... Yeah, it was still wrong on the cops' part, but uh, for my benefit at that moment, yeah, I take the ass whooping before I go to jail because I have probation. So, <laughs> what uh, what were you on probation for? Oh, I was in probation for um. So at that time, um, you know, I used to work when I was a teenager, but I I was such a I was such a money hungry greaseball. <laughs> so I like to do like my outside things after work, things that I should not be doing. So um, at that time, there was a lot of money with, uh, you know, metal, copper, and I guess something similar to what they're doing, the catalytic converters. But I wasn't ever doing catalytic converters. And, and not all the metal we took was, you know, it was stolen. Some of them was actually garbage, like recycling. Yeah, just scrap. But yeah. Uh, yeah, scrap metal. So basically, but we had, I guess, um, some guy I knew, he wanted, he, wanted, he, he wanted me to come with him. I came with him. And long story short, we got but we broke into a warehouse where they had nothing but metal. The it was in Hackensack, New Jersey. It wasn't here though. They busted us. Um, yeah, we both went to jail. He ended up staying there longer because he was an adult and he already had other, um, you know, other issues. What with New York and stuff like that. Me, I had a clean record. So the the um the cops over there. Um, they kept calling my mom like, yo, we're going to throw this kid in jail. We're going to throw this kid in jail. And she's like, do it. Do it. Like, <laughs> I like him like, already. <laughs> she's like, do it. I'm like, oh, man. And then, and then, yeah. Okay. Yeah, now I hear you. Okay. And, and, and then the cops, um, you know, the cops later then, um, they, they, um, they seen that my mom was really arrogant, that she wasn't going to come to Hackensack in New Jersey to pick me up. She don't drive or anything like that. She's, in dis- she's a dis- disability. So I guess the, the commander or whoever the chief is of that, whatever precinct I was in Hackensack, Jersey, they told him, like, yo, we can't keep this kid here. You got, and then the cop was mad. He was just about to um, clock out. They was like, yo, take this kid back to the Bronx. What? I got to take him. He was upset. He was super <laughs> upset. And he was like, what? He's like, yo, rush hour is about to... He's like, go, you got to... We can't keep him here. He's only 15. We can't let him out. He doesn't have a record. His mom don't want to pick him up. What do we do? He was like, 
oh man, then he was upset. He took me home. Like he literally took me home, even with the handcuffs. I'm like, damn, why you gotta have me with handcuffs? I'm a, I'm basically free. Like he's like, shut up. I was like, okay. He took me in front of my mom, and yeah, they left me right there with her. But um, yeah, I was in probation for six months. I went to, I was only one month in Jersey until like a, the judge said, all right, you know, it's hard for me to come to Jersey. Um, switch it up to New York. So they called um, 161 and they said, yeah, you got a kid here in the Bronx, blah, blah, blah. We transferred his probation over here. It was only for six months. And I didn't, thank God I didn't get a felony. That was probably like maybe the, the most, you know, craziest thing I ever did. Uh, I, I'm not into that no more. Plus, metal scrap is not worth what it used to anymore. So, oh, I, I got a go ahead, John. Sorry. No, 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 go, go, go ahead. I, I got a question. So, you told us in layman's terms why you're on probation, and what John and I have been trying to tell the public is that to alleviate people resisting a police officer from making an arrest, because resisting arrest is a crime in itself. So when you got arrested, you charged with, you willing to tell us. And when Burglary you went to court, okay. And when you went to court, what were you convicted of? Um, I, geez, I Do you know, because really like, I like to show the dichotomy between what you were arrested for, which were the allegations, but what were you actually convicted for at court? Do you know? Damn, I was really 15 at that time. I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about those type of details. All I was thinking about is to get me the hell out of here. <laughs> Did you so, eventually get an ACD? What's an ACD? Well, the ACD is usually. So you said you're on probation for six months. So when you get an ACD, usually it's a six month period or a year period, and then after that, it comes off your record. Um, in fact, I believe I believe it's sealed, but. I believe it's like, uh, like, cause it's a, cause I was 15. They said it's a juvenile thing. You know, I guess they said like, it's, it's not there, but it's there. I don't know. In fact, you got me already curious of like going back to finding out myself. It was a real long time ago. That was in 2011. Gotcha. Thank you for being honest on that. I appreciate it, brother. Really do. Sorry. No, definitely. So you've been in trouble a few times. Um, you know, you had a little bit of inter- negative interaction. What What about like what was it about uh, Eric's podcast that really that really took hold of you that you wanted to come on and speak? Like, what was it that you were hearing that you wanted to you know? And like, what 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 do you want to bring to light? Like, what do you want people to know? Like, from the community, what do you want the cops to know from a member of the community? You know, what do you want the community to know? Like. Well, first, I want the community to know is like the the most important the community have to know is you know we, we none of us is perfect human beings. So at least let's work with the let's try to work with the cops, and uh, and you know what policing you know in fact Eric even said in his podcast the other day policing involves and it changes like every like I don't know ten fifteen years. It, it, you know before even before this whole situation from these last two years from COVID, uh, policing was, i seen in my eyes, policing was different already in 2018, 2019 than, you know, me actually growing up. I, I still seen them actually doing their job, even if they had to use physical physical force. But I, I, I honestly, I think that 75 to 80, honestly, no, sorry, 85% of the time, 
the department and the, the members of the department, they're doing their thing. They're doing their job. It shouldn't be, it's not fair. It's not fair to blame John, mm. for an example, for something wrong that Eric did. Ah, that's, that's, uh, that's not right. You're not, you're not interacting with the cop that you're seeing on the news. You're interacting with a different cop. He has a different attitude, different style of policing. He's, he's there in your house to help you. And, and, and like at the end of the day, I want the community to remember this. I always tell everybody, this. we have our loved ones, mothers, sons, daughters, grandmothers, etc. At the end of the day, if God forbid something was to happen to them, they're gonna call. They're gonna call. They're gonna call. Let's say me first, and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta go. I got something's going on with my grandmother. I I, I can't fly. I, I can't fly. There's only so much I can do. If especially I'm in far distance so you have to rely on the police when it comes to these you know when it comes <clears> to <throat> situations and you're not around your loved one you know you guys coming out in the community saying no screw the police screw the police but one of these days one of them is going to be the one that actually saved your life or save your loved one's life and they're gonna and then from there they're gonna change but it should never it should not get to that point for people to understand that we should start understanding that now, like, especially now, like everybody now is, is worried about crime in the city and, and, and transit. Some of them don't even want to take the train no more. Uber's business is going back up because of the crime is going up in the train station. What do you think about that? Because, you know, in the news now, we see the mayor, we see all these city council members, all these these media people, you know, saying that the subways are fine. Like, what's your opinion of the subways right now? Have you been taking the train a lot? I don't take the train, but most of my family members and friends take it. They said it is horrible. In fact, I took one, in fact, to 42nd Street to avoid the parking a couple of weeks ago with um with my godson. And we went over there. Uh, it was like two guys walking in the train. I just, they looked really suspicious to me. So I was just watching the kid, you know? And honestly, I didn't see so much. But I felt the vibe, and I'm really big on vibes. Like, I felt like, yo, this anything could go wrong any second while we're in this train. That's all I felt, and it was, like, mad uncomfortable. And then I called my uncle, like, yo, you know what? Next time, I'll, I'll just pay for the parking. I don't want to jump in the train. <laughs> did, did you notice a difference, like, uh, like, do you notice a difference in the city from when you were a kid to now? Like, what would you say? Like, you know, like, do you notice like it like you're saying this vibe? Right. Because I, I feel like there's a lawless vibe going on in the city myself. Like, do you feel that there's a difference like. Like not only with with the city, but with cops, like what what's the, the biggest difference you would say from when you were a kid growing up with the police to now? What I see is. What I see is most of the politicians don't support the cops because I always watch the news since I was a kid. Um, I don't see the politicians not supporting the cops. Um, I see more crime than ever. The cops, it, it's like they, I see it in their face. They want to do their job, but then if they do their job, they lose their job, which is like what mathematical sense that makes. And uh, the, it was much better before. Before, listen, I got stopped and frisked um, several times several times i could tell you some of those times i'd be like it wasn't really necessary some of those times they were actually work because that night i was thinking about doing something i should not be doing but then when the cops come oh we frisking you up that's it 
So honestly, stop and frisk. I, I believe they should continue having that as a tool. You know, I just don't believe the whole, you know, we got to, you got, they put in pressure on you guys, like a certain amount of people where people are just coming out the trains and schools, you know, that's just taking it to a different level. But yeah, stop and frisk, talking about take that away. That's, that's ridiculous. Mm. It's, it's needable. And especially with young teenagers like myself getting into uh, a whole bunch of trouble. I mean, I would, yeah. I got a two part question for you. <clears throat> so, I hear what you're saying, and I'm glad to hear that. So, if you could tell us in the past, were you arrested or stopped or arrested and stopped by anti-crime or uniformed officers, and what was your perception of anti-crime before you listened to the podcast interview where John interviewed myself about, and I talked about anti-crime? What was your perception of anti-crime then, and what is your perception of anti-crime now after listening to the podcast interview? Well, honestly, anti-crime, there was more funnier before. It was more funnier. There was actually more interactable um, than, than actually the uniform. Um, the anti-crime, they, they stopped and frisked me. In fact, this is the funniest moment that I could, uh, I could share <laughs> with you guys. This is really going to be the funniest moment ever where um, we all got summonses in the corner. All of us had the same date, same time. Um, I had a jaw surgery and I, yeah, I couldn't eat nothing for like a month. I had my jaw like shut just like this. It was, it, it was completely shut. And I was like two weeks, two weeks later, I had to go to, um, to the summits. And at that time they would, you know, give, um, if you don't show up, they'll give you a warrant and then the cop will stop you and then it will pop up automatically. So all of, out of seven of us, like five of us went, I don't know why the other two didn't go. I didn't really care. I went for myself really. Um, we went and then right when we came out, we went back to the, you know, the same neighborhood where we grew up and chill. Most of us live in different parts of it, whatever. We went back. It was early in the afternoon. It was like probably two, three in the afternoon and anti-crime, they stopped us. It was plainclothes officers. So it was like probably like two cars, but we was in a, you know, we was in a suspicious car. Like it's all black and black tinted windows and the car was known I guess in the neighborhood a lot, I guess. But uh, they stopped us. They told all of us to get out. Um, they, wasn't, they wasn't being rude or, or disrespectful or anything like that. They, they just wanted to just check to make sure there was nothing inside, but they wasn't being rude or disrespectful. Me, I, I was the one in the back. So I was like, oh man, they, they, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, yo, wait, wait, officer, before you start getting a little touchy, touchy, um, look, I got a, I got a jaw surgery. I'm a, I'm a little delicate right now. You know, I'm a little, I'm a, he was like, and then right there, he searched me real quick. And then he was like, yo, what happened to your mouth? I was like, nah, I had an underbite. So they gave me a surgery. So he was like, so he's like, so you don't got nothing in your mouth. No, and I'm talking just like this. My mouth shut. And then, and then all the cops that were searching my friends. <laughs> and then all the cops were searching my friends. Then they then they started they started not paying no attention to them. They all started paying attention to me. It was like, yo, so they they want the stop. It went from stop to frisk to asking me questions about my surgery. How you got that? How does it work? How do you eat? You know what one cop said? He was like, you know, um, you know, so you can, you know, you can, so you can, you know, be in bed with a lady, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you can say it. it's all right. <laughs> yeah, you can. You, yeah, you can. Uh, you know, you can't. 
He was like, damn. He was like, damn, you can't smoke? No. He's like, you can't eat? No. You can't lick, you know, you can't lick no pussy? I'm like, no, I can't do nothing. He was like, damn. And you know what he said? He's like, yo, I think you was elected. He's like, I think you was elected to do this. I was elected. <laughs> I was elected. This is before body cams, right? Yeah, they didn't have no body cams at that time. Well, this is what this is what John and I have been talking about is that anti-crime part of the community relations. Because the anti-crime guys, they did look for illegal firearms, but the anti-crime guys got to know you. You got to know them. And so, if you could keep going, I really appreciate it. I, I, I'm, I, I've listened to you. I'm entertained. Oh yeah, I looked at it. It, it, it looked at it. Everybody was looking. There was like, oh wait, that's this. That's this kid, son. And then everybody was like, yo, you okay? You in trouble? Because all you have is five anti-crime cops. They just around me. But they, they're not, they're really interested to know what, <laughs> what the jaw thing. Like, they was like, so you. you're going <laughs> to, yeah. So they was like, so you're going to look prettier than me? I was like, yeah, soon. Once the shit comes off. <laughs> so it was, it wasn't that bad. You know, at first when they pull us over, we were like, come on, damn, we just came out of court. Like. Really, we don't got. You anything. guys weren't smoking. <laughs> were you guys nah, smoking nah, weed? Nah, was, no, we was we was going to, but we didn't get. We didn't have anything at that time. We we literally just got out, and once we got like 10, 15 minutes away, they pulled us over. But you know, they didn't know we came out of court. You said the car looked suspicious, either. right? It was all tinted up. The car looked suspicious. Yeah, yeah. It was a known car. Yeah, and so, when you lower the window, you see like six people inside. You're like, wait. Yeah, yeah. Step so what out. was your yeah. Exactly. What was your perception of them? I, I, I think I'm pretty much getting the idea of what your perception of them was. And well, so what, what's your perception of anti-crime now? Do you think that it's a loss to the city? Do you think it was good to, to uh, disband anti-crime? What, what is your take on that? No, they shouldn't have disbanded anti-crime. That was, that, that, that was a dumb move. That was a straight and down dumb move because it's, it's true. You can't, you can't, um, People will do bad things, and obviously they won't do it if they see a blue and white car. They see a blue and white car. They obviously, they obviously gonna, they obviously not gonna do it. But if they see a black car passing by, how many black cars there are in the city? What uh, what do you feel so, about like you smoked weed, right? Or you you might still smoke weed. Like, what do you feel about that? That they legalized it. How do you feel about the enforcement of it then? And like, what do you feel now? Should it be legal? What do you feel? Because like, you know, me and Eric talk about this too. Like we used marijuana as a tool to get illegal firearms. Like we would stop that car if you guys were smoking weed, uh, really. And it gave us free roam to search the car from the trunk to the glove compartment to everything. And, you know, the weed was a very big tool. So yeah, 100% people did get locked up and spend a night in jail for smoking weed or maybe even a weekend in the bookings. But what do you feel like? What's your personal opinion on that? Like, sh- should we have ever been policing using marijuana or should that have always been legal? Um, well, honestly, th- this is how I feel about marijuana. I- honestly, it was the best move they probably made was to legalize it. Because uh, honestly, marijuana, it, it really, believe it or not, some sometimes it really helps people's minds because I, I act like a total different person. Like I could, well, I, now I'm older. So, you know, at that time I was just smoking weed to just be cool and stuff. That's when cops used to chase me around. Luckily it wasn't you guys because you guys would have caught me. 
Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, so I, I think it's good to have it, you know, legalized. But there should be, like, um, some regulations. Like, all right, don't smoke by a school. Um, you know, don't smoke, like, during a park between, like, 8 and 6 because that's when kids are going to start playing around. Legalizing weed, I, I think, like, I don't know about... See, I don't know about that part. I don't really know how I feel about, um, you know, stopping people. All right, it's not like weed. Now I can search a car. Honestly, I, I, I don't know how I feel about that because I would say it worked, yes, and then m- mostly no because not every, you know, I, 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 not, I don't even consider anybody smoking weed uh, as, a, as a criminal, you know, even though it, it was a law at one point. But... Um, when I talk about criminals, we're talking about, yeah, like the guns and like more, you know, crazier things they're getting into. 50% of the people that was just smoking weed was just smoking mm. weed. It wasn't, you know, really up to no good. A lot of people from college smoke weed and they work. A lot. I, most of the time, I, to this day, I probably, I'm not going to lie, I, t- I still smoke weed here and there. Not like how I used to, because before I was just a pothead. I just wanted to do it just to do it. But now I use it for uh, a benefit when it's, you know, I'm stressed. I want to stay mellow because uh, drinking is actually worse because people get drunk. They don't know how to act. They, they start cursing at, at guys because they want to be bigger than them. Then there's a fight, then there's a stab, and then it's a shooting. Well, weed is not like that. A weed, it makes you want to prevent from getting in, in, into trouble. Unlike a certain amount of people, they're just, you know, that's, they're just crazy. They're just crazy. No matter how much weed they smoke, that's what they're going to do. But a good amount of people, it keeps them out of trouble because they want to, you know, be less stressful. And, you know, New York City is a stressful environment. I, you know, I, 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 go ahead, John. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. sorry. Just one follow-up yeah. on that. Just, I, I, so I should have rephrased it better. And I, and I think you, I think you said it. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem with marijuana and I don't believe that smoking marijuana makes you a criminal at all because I do believe it's a plant and I think it was ridiculous the way it was. But I do believe just like drinking in public and smoking in public should be illegal. The same way drinking in a vehicle is illegal, I think smoking in a car should be illegal. Like, would you? And I think you kind of agree with me on that one. So, like, I just that that was really the question I wanted to ask you. Um, yeah, I agree with you with that because we don't want kids passing by and thinking, well, you know, this this is okay. This is you know, I'm gonna be doing this when I get older. Like, no, nah, we don't want that. We don't want we we want to educate them when they get older, like, this is what marijuana is, and this is what it's for. This is not something, you know, this is not something to do every single day, you know? it's It could be an addiction, just like any other drug. Well, you know, I, I, I've, read a, I've read a lot about this stuff. I actually, was a, I actually was a history major in college. And there's different theories. No one knows exactly why marijuana was Ill- illegalized. But if you go back to history, there's a lot of theories on it. So I'm a firm believer, like John, I don't believe that marijuana was not legal because they were concerned, you know, as far as it being a drug that could be bad for you. Because the studies show that marijuana actually has helped people that have psychosis issues. Marijuana helps people that have shakes. Uh, Marijuana has helped people with uh, diseases where they have tremors. So it's done a lot of good. But over the years, if if you look at history, back in the 1700s, early 1800s, everything was made of hemp. You know what hemp is, right? 
which is hemp yeah. is is what the is the is from to, uh, tobacco <coughs> of marijuana, but they make products. And a lot right. of these paper co- these companies that made paper products, they were not in the business and they couldn't compete. And a lot of these guys paid uh, different taxes to get marijuana illegalized. And that's some of the theory. So back to where we're at, the reason why John and I have spoken about this, I think that marijuana has a lot of benefits, but marijuana was the best tool for anti-crime. John and I talked about this. It was the best tool so that you legitimately and legally can access a person or the persons, the occupants of a car and the car to look for firearms. It was, I mean, myself and my teams, we didn't go out there and look for kids that smoke weed. There are plenty of times that we stopped the car and it looked so suspicious. The tinted windows were dark and it was in the right area at the right time where we had shootings. And we pulled that car over. And you heard my podcast where I talked about the baseline and how you, you just know in an eighth of a second, we know that this is a bad guy or this is not a bad guy or what's in that car because you've done it so many times. And there were times we would walk up to the driver's side window and the window would roll down. And in an eighth of a second, you're like, you know what, guys? You guys have a good day. Smoke your weed. Be careful. And we'd walk away. And we'd even check because we did this so many times. And we knew these guys didn't have guns. These kids were just college kids. Or they were just local kids. They were smoking weed, having a good time. And we were so good at that that we knew right away. And I'm not trying to toot our own horn because we did every day. But there were times where we walked up to that car and that window came down. And those behavioral indicators of the occupants of the car mimicked us where we got firearms before. And the car smelled like weed. Or there's, there's blunts on the floor. Someone's actually smoking one that's in the ashtray. And now we have the legitimate right to get these occupants out of the car, check them, check the car, and get the firearm. And that's where we save lives. Because, And I say that because the ends don't justify the means. We don't want to just grab anyone for anything. Because if we grab someone and we don't have the legality for it, when it goes to court, it's not going to be prosecution. So that was a great tool. And we lost that tool. Because John and I were talking today. I was like, damn, John. When they took away weed, I said to the guys, well, what do we do now? How do we get into these cars? Right, John. I mean, we just spoke about this. Yeah, no, no, and I and the the other thing that I I talked about is like, you know, like so part of the job of us is like to know what crimes are going on in in the, in the neighborhood, right? So, you know, let's just say, for example, there's uh, burglaries of houses going on, or car break-ins, or whatever you want to say, like just a pattern of crime, whatever it is happening in a particular area, and now we see a car filled with neighborhood kids a car that's very familiar to us right like the car you were in and you guys are smoking weed which is illegal yes i and we're not really breaking your balls for smoking weed but we might lock you all up that day and we might separate all yours and we're gonna offer you a desk appearance ticket or send you through the system and the way we're gonna get you're gonna get a desk appearance ticket is you're gonna we're basically you're, we're gonna get information from you you're gonna tell us who was doing the car break-ins who was burglarizing the houses who's got an illegal firearm when did you see a gun you know would you be willing to work with us and and we lost so much of of the intelligence gathering we did when we gave away marijuana so that was that was my thing i didn't think marijuana should be illegal for you to use in your home 
or for you to use in private. But I always believe like you shouldn't be standing on a corner like the same way. I don't want to see five dudes drinking on a corner. I don't want to see five dudes driving around in a car drinking. It's the same thing with marijuana. And I do believe that a night in jail or a weekend in jail is a great uh, deterrent for young for young kids you know like Mm -hmm. i said i i you know i i I think i revealed it on the podcast too i was arrested i was arrested twice as a youth and those those things straightened me out because i was like i know i don't want this type of life i'm not i'm not a gangster i don't want to be in jail i don't want to i don't want that type of life like what do you feel about a night in jail for minor crimes um good question uh i feel hmm like you know, the honestly, like I don't, I feel like it, it's really good because it really keeps you from doing bigger and bad things. I got most of the time I got arrested for was for, for minor stuff. The 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 the, the newest arrest I ever got was like probably two years ago. That was like some road rage, and then me and the guy we started fighting. Uh, yeah, the cops <laughs> it, it wasn't happening in Queens when we was um when we was working. Uh, yeah, me and the guy we was toughing it out, but. But then, but then the cops had came, and yeah, they took me in because uh, you know he he looked at like I, I don't honestly I don't think I didn't really thought I popped him that bad, but he had blood coming out of his mouth. So yeah, whatever. They they took me to the precinct. They let me they let me out because I don't you know I don't I hardly get arrested like that. They let me out. The they end up dismissing. I didn't even get to see which which was actually surprising to me. The first court date, they changed it for another one. And then the lawyer just called me up like, oh, not forget it. They dismissed it. I'm like, really? Like that? I was like, oh. I was like, damn, no wonder these people are doing, committing these crimes. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to continue seeing the judge. But now I'm actually seeing what's going on, because I know if this would have happened when I was a teenager, I would have spent a night or two in the bookings. I, only, I was only there for like three, four hours. I was out. Yeah. And and that's, you know, and that's another thing that I always talk about. I say like, what are we doing to our youth when there's, I I know for a fact that the majority of my friends, if they only did four hours in jail, every time they get locked up, as opposed to spending the weekend or a night, they wouldn't be afraid to get locked up. You know, Uh, even though it's a minor crime and even though no down the road stuff won't isn't really going to you're probably not going to go to jail for smoking weed or you're probably not going to go to jail for breaking into a car for a long time. But you don't want to spend the weekend in jail. You don't want Friday, Saturday, Sunday night ruins. You don't want to go, you know, whatever plans you are. You don't want to be locked in a box for a day. You know, um, so I, I, I think we lost a lot with that, too, on the bail reform where now, you know, you're out. Uh, and you're going to see the judge on a different day as opposed to waiting to see the judge. What do you think? Yeah, you, you know, I know I'm curious to know these, these situations you've been in and, and you've had positive interactions and you talk about negative interactions. And we talked about what you think of a good copy. So a lot of the topic now is about the body cameras we talked about and, and the oversight, right? So what about use of force? And you've watched videos and you've seen things in the past. What stuff do you like to see from cops? And what stuff that you've seen that you don't like? I know this is a tough question, but I appreciate your honesty. So we can bring this to light and have an open discussion on it. Um, like, 
I believe, listen, I believe this in some circumstance, some circumstance we have to, well, you guys have to, um, you know, use use of force because some of these guys, they, they resist and they don't, they don't want to go to jail. So, and, you know, it's, I, I, I don't see what's the point of resisting arrest, but you guys have people that do it. And sometimes it doesn't look pretty and ugly. And yeah, you might have to, some, sometimes these guys will be so resistant that you feel like this guy's going to hurt you and you have to use your support. Listen, like you was even saying the other, um, the other podcast, like people have, um, you know, like this, the cops now have this have fear factor. And just like any other human being, it doesn't make a difference. It's like I'm wearing regular clothes now. And if somebody's feeling like a threat, I feel like he's a threat. Well, it makes a difference if I just wore the uniform right now. I would have felt the same way. And, uh, yeah, like, far as, like, the other, like, I've seen a lot of videos. i also even seen a lot of videos with yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also seen the, no, you famous. You, you, you uh, out there, man. You <laughs> out there. You really, you're really out there. But, um, you know, it's crazy. Some, over the last couple of years, you know, when they be showing these videos and they be exposing the cop's name, I end up doing my own little research. And one thing about, like, with you is, like, something, like, after reading everything, it's just like, I don't know, some, something is just hitting my bone. Like, it just doesn't make no sense. I feel like you was really, like, unfairly, because, like, you was unfairly hit with a lot of things that wasn't true and a lot of things that you shouldn't have got hit with. Honestly, this, 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 I'm surprised, you know, they say, you know, you have this many complaints, 115, whatever. Thank you. Um, there's certain, there's certain cops that got like, like 20 complaints and sometimes they get in, they get involved with this one terrible incident and all of a sudden they're gone. All, all of a sudden they're gone. If you got up to 115, all your incidents wasn't, to me, they were, they had to have been light because I've seen other videos where they had less complaints, but they had, they, they, they was more fired than anybody else. Well, I, listen, I really thank you for saying that. So then, then let me ask you that. So what was your perception of the way I did police work out there? What did you hear from the community uh, compared to after listening to the podcast and now, you know, speaking to my, me and John right now? Uh, no, yeah, you hear a lot. You're, you know, you're a crazy cop. You're, you know, you're a crazy lieutenant. <laughs> a whole bunch of nonsense. <laughs> And, 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 like, you know, sometimes I don't believe things, you know, right away. I got to do my own research to actually, so I could voice my opinion and stuff like that. Certain videos with cops, like, I'm going to, you know, use this guy as an example, if you guys don't mind. Uh, Francisco um, Garcia. Yeah, that was, that, I seen videos, I seen a video where he had an issue with a civilian right next to, while they was arresting whoever they was interacting with. And like the way he handled it was was kind of wrong. I see videos with you. I, I I see videos with you where people was actually resisting arrest. You had no choice but to you know you you use your hands because you know you couldn't take out your knife stick. You know the taser. You got to be a certain distance, like you said. So you had to use your hands. And honestly, yeah, the hands are better than the knife stick because I think it's a metal pull that should hurt you. <laughs> thank you for thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, John, uh, do you want to shed some light on this? Um, what do you, I, I do? Yeah, I got a couple of questions. What do you What do you think about What do you think about two laws? Uh, well, it's actually one law. It's called the diaphragm bill, right? And it basically what it says is 
it, it pulls off. First off, they, they a while back, they said cops aren't allowed to choke somebody, right? So I'm never allowed to grab you around the neck. Um, that's one thing. And then they went further and they called it the chokehold bill, and it's called the diaphragm bill. And it says that a police officer can never intentionally or unintentionally put pressure on your diaphragm. And that could be your front or your back. Um, so I'm just going to put you in the scenario. You're a newly minted police officer. You have a gun on you. Um, right. And you about to fight somebody. Would you think that those are fair rules to go into a fight with? You could never choke somebody. They could do anything to you, stab you, shoot you. They could do anything to you, grab your gun. You could never put your arm around their neck and you could never com- put compression on their diaphragm. Do you believe those are fair rules to fight in in a fight? Um, the diaphragm, the the chokehold. I'm be honest. I think it's I think it's fair not to yeah to do a chokehold. But uh, the the diaphragm, yeah, that's kind of that is kind of stupid. I think it's really I think mm. it's really stupid because when people get into fights, uh, uh like re- two regular people fighting one of them is going to be on the floor, which is the loser. And the winner is going to have something like on top of his back. So he don't get up and try to hurt him again. Uh, so what difference does it make when a cop has to fight with a, with a career criminal? Is it is the same thing with two regular people fighting the street. And I, I, I don't hear, I never heard, not even from, um, from police, but let alone, from regular fights that you can die because you got your foot or your your um, knee on my back. Now the neck thing is it might be a little bit sensitive, but the back part, like wait, we we gotta we gotta take him down the ground. We gotta hit him in his back, like like because you can hold his arms, but then he's gonna start wiggling his body away, and then that that's when it becomes a more of a struggle for you guys, and that's why you guys gotta call like ten cops. So five is holding one arm, five is holding the other. It's like really like that's we could have been we could have been had this guy in cuffs and not called you guys. Yeah, um, you know, like the thing with me with the with the chokehold and and I even understand the diaphragm bill a little bit. Like I understand, I would understand it if it was for excessive periods, right? Like, but to say I can never grab you around the neck or I could never hmm. put pressure on your back, I understand. Hey, listen. You can't choke this dude out for 10 minutes and you got a hold of him and you're going to kill him. You know what I mean? Like that I get like you're not going to choke someone out and then not, you know, not let go of them when they when they go out of the picture or even maybe even say you can't choke someone out unconscious. I could maybe see that and I can maybe see. Yes, the person's down on the ground. And I definitely see the person's down on the ground and you're not going to keep your 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 knee in their back or their elbow in their back and, like, stop them from breathing, right? Because you're going to be in a bad situation, right? Your arms are behind your back. I'm on top of you with my knee. So I get it at extended periods, but those things aren't for extended periods. And I'll tell you right now, I've been in a fight as a cop and I have put people in chokeholds because I've had absolutely no choice but to do it. I was working uh, one time in particular, I was working with a female and she froze. And this big dude, I don't know what he had a, a 12 pack. He was high on crack. He came over and started throwing haymakers at me. And I've been in a lot of fights in my life. And I knew that if I got hit by one of those shots, 
I was going out of the picture and this dude was going to fuck me up. And I'm not going to lie. I, I, I kept, I kept dancing with him, dancing with him, dancing with him until I got to where I could take his back. And I held on for dear life and yelled until she finally got on the radio and cop car came and helped me put this guy in handcuffs. And, you know, and I, there's nothing else I had could have done in that situation. He would have, he could have actually killed me. That dude, um, if it, like, like the choke kind of saved my life, me choking him. Um, so I, you know, so to me, it's, it's like, I, I don't understand it. You know, what, what, what do you, what do you think, Eric? Like, what do you think about that? I think we should talk about the big elephant in the room. Uh, I heard, uh, Rich, I heard that you were interested in discussing with me the Eric Garner incident and possibly George Floyd. So I'd like to give you this opportunity to ask us questions about it and, oh, yes. and we can, uh, we, and we can reflect on it because I think the, the chokehold obviously correlates with some of these stories and, and they really relate. And I, I love to, you know, you could ask me questions. Maybe we could shed some light on, 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 on our opinion, our expert opinion on this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, that was um, probably like two things that I had written down. Um, mostly important was uh, I wanted to ask you and John. And by the way, uh, John, you retired last year, right? I retired. My last day was February 24th of 2022. I, I left over the mandates. I, I refused to take the, the, the COVID vaccine. All right, cool. And, you know, I actually got something to ask you later about the um, mandates, but yeah, um, so George, I was going to ask you guys, this is for a question for you and Eric about George Floyd. Um, wh- what did you guys thought? Now, this was, you know, before the protests and riot, like when this thing was fresh, when it first, because um, I know, you know, all the police in the country was aware before this stuff started getting out of control. Um, when you guys saw the vid- video, what did you, what did it went through your guys' mind? Like, what did y'all thought? about the video what did you especially you guys are lieutenants what do you thought about those that officer's actions and the second part of the question i was going to ask you about george floyd is um you know how a lot of cops had a lot of bad experience that time during the rioting and uh protests i wanted i was wondering to know you know where you two guys was at at the time you guys was out there too during the um the protests and the rioting. this is too easy too easy i can tell you right now and without even asking John, I know the answer. Because there's no cop I've ever met, I've ever heard. There's no cop that's watched that video. But you know what? I would have done the same thing. Every cop has condemned that video and said that was bad police action. Absolutely. And I don't even have to ask John. Every one of us has been in violent struggles. We've been in arrest situations. And we, we always make safety paramount. Not just for us, but for our, per- our perpetrator and prisoner as well. And that's why sometimes that's, that's the mess I've been trying to convey to the public is that we have to apply force in a certain way to get the person in cuffs, in control, and out of the scene immediately. Obviously, with that scene, there was too much time was prolonged. That was what John was just talking about, right? And, and that's why I don't like the word never, right? Because yeah. never is, is an obsolete. Like that. This is 100%. You could never apply pressure on a diaphragm law. I think this was a knee jerk reaction because of this. But I, what I find that's a shame, I think the Civilian Complaint Review Board, public opinion, Jose LaSalle, these different organizations think that one cop's bad action is going to be infectious and infect us all. And that's quite the opposite. There was one incident 
And every cop, including myself, has said, that's absolutely terrible police work. We all condemn it. It was a complete tragedy. Yes, should George Floyd have been arrested? Well, that was up to the cops that day to determine if he should be arrested or not. Were his actions deliberate? Uh, was he uh, difficult to control? Yes. Could it have been uh, done in a different manner? Absolutely. And we always talk about in police where things have to be expedient. you got to move quick. That's why sometimes when you understand why the police don't take action immediately, because you want to get in and get out. The longer amount of time we spend with a perpetrated prisoner, it gives more time for things to go wrong. And that, obviously, we, we don't want. Because in, in the street, something wrongful can end up in someone's death. And none of us want that on our heads. And every one of us, including myself, am I right, John? Condemn his actions. No, I think he did a horrible job. I mean, I watched that video and I was cringing. Like, how could you oh, not God. be aware of what the hell is going on around you? Um, you know, it, it kind of got complicated for me once I read the autopsy. Um, and I was like, all right, well, the, his, the cop's actions, as awful as they were and as terrible job as he did, it didn't cause the death. I'm like, so I don't believe he's guilty of murder. I don't know that, you know, but someone did die and he literally showed no care or anything. Um, and, you know, and I know that it was part of their training to to kneel on the neck. And it, it is a West Coast thing, like West Coast cops. Uh, I watched a video actually in the NYPD training when they were they were trying to teach us about how to how to. You know, they were trying to show like, hey, was it right or wrong that a partner moved the other partner's knee away from someone's neck? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know if it was right or wrong because everyone else in that video has their knee on everyone else's neck. It was during a a riot situation in Seattle. I'm like, so that's obviously part of their training. But, you know, that doesn't make it right that you should sit there with your knee on the guy's neck. Now, if he caused the death, yes. He belongs to go to jail. He murdered him, kissed out on his neck. But when I read the autopsy, though, and I, and again, I'm not condemning him. I'm not. I, when I read the the autopsy, though, I was like, I think this guy should have been fired. I don't think that he murdered him, though, because there's nothing there from an injury to die. He died from the overdose of fentanyl. You know, I, I think the lack of care definitely is horrible, and that incident went nationwide. Um. But he didn't cause the death. So I was I was off with that. And, you know, and and again, I know that it was part of his training to put the knee on the neck. But, you know, part of my training is that I could shoot you in a lot of scenarios. And there's been a few scenarios in my career where I would have shot. I could have shot someone and I would have been indemnified and cleared and it wouldn't have been an issue. And I didn't do it. Um, And, you know. Because I, I didn't feel the need to, even though in that scenario, I would have been mm. justified and that was my training. So, yeah, I think it was horrible. You know, like, what would mm. you think about when you when you saw that that video? Who, me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rich, yeah. I, I saw the video. I saw the video. I said, what the hell is this officer? I'm like, oh, man. And I'm like, oh, this is going to cause, in my mind, I thought, I was like, this is going to cause a big mess. Honestly, it caused a bigger mess than what we actually thought. I know protests was going to happen, but sheesh, 2020 was really history. Well, I, I, you know, I'm glad you said that. I I agree with John, though. Like I said, I didn't get to that part. I condemn his actions, and I think it's bad police work. 
I really do. It's bad police work. That's what I say. But there is a difference between law and rule. I think he broke a lot of rules. Maybe that's part of his training. But like John said, in my career also, I've had numerous opportunities where I would have been indemnified, but I chose to use other actions because, like I said, nothing should be obsolete. You should always be able to read between the lines and always know the resources and tools that you have. And there may be better options. Because none of us want that on our heads that we had to shoot someone and deal with the red tape. You want to go home and not have these issues with your family. But I don't believe that, that Buster Chauvin woke up that day and said, you know what? I want to go out and kill someone. And to murder someone, you need intent. Or I, I know they, uh, they used another clause uh, to use the murder charge in this particular case where it wasn't about intent. But I don't think that he, he was seeking out to kill him. I think there was other factors going on. He was the senior cop there. He was called to assist these other cops. Maybe he felt, well, these cops should have known better. Maybe he had a bad day. It was definitely bad police work. He should be fired. He doesn't belong in that profession. But as far as murder, I think that's a really tough stretch. I mean, to really intend to, yes, you can murder someone other ways than a firearm, but you really need intent there to, to want to kill someone. I'm not sure if we met those parameters there. Uh, I mean, that's a discussion. We could go down that rabbit hole and be for years, but it was bad police work. And there are cops that don't belong. And I said, for the most part, police officers, especially the NYPD, I think the NYPD is unmatched by its peers. We show the most restraint than any other police department in the entire country or even the world. And NYPD, you're taught, and John could probably solidify this and agree on this, that you're taught about integrity. Before you even start the job, integrity is driven to your head when you start applying. Integrity, integrity. And John can tell you this, this is a true fa- statement. In the NYPD, if you drop a $5 bill away of the precinct or near a locker room, you go on vacation, you come back in three weeks, that $5 bill is still going to be there. Am I right, John? Yeah, no, no. Cops are... Yeah, cops are... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Then, you know... They'll eat your lunch, but they're not going to steal your money. You know? <laughs> They'll eat your lunch out of the thing. Um, Rich, did, when you watched that video, though, did you think anything? Did you think that was a racist incident or did you think that was terrible police work? Like, what was your initial thoughts? Do you do you think that Chauvin did that because uh, because uh, George Floyd was black? Good question. Well, I'm going to be honest with you at that. At that very moment, um, yes, I, I kind of thought I really believed that that he probably did that because because uh, he was. I mean, like I, at that moment, I had mixed feelings because it's like we can't. I'm from New York. I, I can't talk about like the communities of Minneapolis. Can't talk about police in Minneapolis. It's everything in that environment is different, and that's what kind of annoys me when you have all these bad situations with police. Outside of New York, you guys got to pick up the, the the slack and the garbage of the protests. Like, yo, dude, it happened over there. Go over there with that shit. Like, for real. Like, it didn't happen here. We haven't had a cop, like, killing somebody, at least not with intent, in, in a very long time. So it's like what, in New York. Why? And, and that's a fantastic question. I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but why? And, and this is the issue that I have. I agree. It's terrible. It's bad police work. But I haven't. I've watched a video, watched a trial, autopsy, and I don't see race being involved in this case at all. So, if you could tell us why, in your opinion, 
you see it as a race factor. Why? Ha, what about that video? What have you heard? What happened there that you see is the racial component of this? Well, I mean, like in the video, you we hear the officer clearly. Of course, you know he's not he's not he's not saying any racist words to George Floyd. But you know, I'm me personally. I go strong by vibes. Like I'm really strong with vibes, and 98% of my time, my vibes right. And I don't know, something was just telling me this is something not right. Well, um, with Derek, with Derek Chauvin, like there's something. I feel like I really feel like there's something. Like I, I could see it in his face. You know, like you could see a person in the face and say, "Yo, I'm. I think he's up to no good." You look at another person's face, nah, he's good. He's not up to no good. That's that's how I go. So it's like it's hard for me to actually to like explain it. But yeah, honestly, like I, I felt it just by looking in his face. And then over the time when I started doing while they was doing courts, you know, they started having all these extra stories. And I was like kind of reading them. And yeah, like I if if Derek Chauvin is racist, I still don't believe he was there that day to try to kill anybody or George Floyd. If if that's you know if he was if he is you know I can't say yes I can't say no I just go by my feelings and what what I see on my research you know doing my own basically research. But even hey even if that's the case, all you guys I'm sorry when I mean all you guys all the police not just in New York and the whole country should not take a blame because of this guy. They should not be taking the. They should not be taking the hit. You can't do your job. You can't do this. We're gonna do this. Like all because of this guy made a mistake. Nah, that's 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 terrible. Yeah, no. Nah, it's I, been I, my I, argument. Uh, sorry, John. No, no. It's been my argument, and I've been saying this since. Uh, I, I I'm a firm believer. All right, this goes back to when President Obama was. Uh, in 2009, actually, where it was the first time that we saw a president get involved in local municipality police work. And if you remember the case back in 2009, there was a professor in Springfield, Massachusetts, and his apartment, uh, the police would respond to the apartment because a neighbor called and they thought that this particular professor was breaking into an apartment. It turns out it was his own apartment. And he forgot his keys. He was locked out. But the police officer responded and they placed him in handcuffs. The police officer was a white sergeant. And the professor was uh, was a prominent professor. He was friends to, to Obama and he was black. And this is where I think that this racial component was building up in the country. It goes back to and I watched it. I remember saying to myself, wow, look where this is going to go. And what Obama did, I don't know if his intentions were good or not. I think the ideology was to have an open conversation and kind of make light of it and make it comical. But it really spawned up to something different. And, John, if you remember this, Obama decided to have a beer with the sergeant and the professor. And this is where I think the race component started to come out, was the sergeant had chosen to drink Sam Adams. And this professor decided to drink a red stripe. And it started to become about the race components of why he picked Sam Adams. And how the picture of Sam Adams was representative of George Washington. And, and he had slaves back then. And why the p- black professor had chosen Red Stripe. And here was the first time the president had put in his, his two cents or his nose 
to local municipality police work, and he said the police acted stupidly. And I think it built up from there. And so here we are, years later, we're at the George Floyd incident. And I think uh, now we have these organizations like George Soros and people like that who are really using, and I say that they're using people with funding to go out there and riot and protest. Because in most cases, some of these young protesters, they don't even know why they're there. Um, and I've had the opportunity to talk to them and ask them, hey, why do you think this is racist? And most of them can't even answer it. Um, you know, and, and I'm glad that you, you, you're you honest with that. And I can tell you, being in, in the NYPD, and particularly working at PSA 7, I was the minority, minority there. Most of the guys uh, were Dominican, some black. I mean, I used to laugh and say, oh, thank God for you guys. I get to learn more Spanish, you know, and I had a good time. Yeah. But it's my argument police officers wearing blue that has become the color that has become a race that people because most of the police in the Bronx are minority that people have become racist against blue do you agree do you agree with that I kind of do people just they just don't like the police I'll be like yo oh the the, the NYPD is uh is uh is racist but I'm like yo most of them are Spanish and black cops they're like us and they just stay <laughs> they just they just stay they just stay stuck Oh nah, but they 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 set them up, set them up. Like, what do you mean, set them up? Like, all right, all right. I don't believe that whole setup part, but it's still a job. If they and if they was to set them up, why well, get mad at with them personally? Why don't you just take it up with their boss? So straight up, honestly, they they people people show their outrage um, more to you guys, but uh, it should be more to. I guess the chiefs or the, the the politicians, but that has happened. And politicians, they they try to like point the fingers, like, no, it's you guys. But but wait, you the guys that hired these guys. So who, like, I don't get it. Who's who's here to blame? I and I really feel like yeah, um, blue became, yeah, blue became a racist. That's it. Everybody likes me now, but wait till I put that uniform. Oh, it's fuck you, suck my dick, you asshole, you piece of shit. I'm like, oh, come on, really? Why I gotta be all that, man? <laughs> They'd be like, oh, I make more money than you, so leave me the fuck alone. Why the fuck you gotta, <laughs> why the fuck you gotta bother me? Like, why you counting my pockets? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, but you said, you said two things that, that I always say, right? I'm like, I don't know what the fuck goes on across the country. I know if you're coming to New York City and you're telling us that we're a racist city and a racist police department, you're out of your fucking mind because there's nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like, I like look around. You know, I, I had to sit in a diversity, equity, inclusion training one time and I raised my hand. I was like, could you just point out who the evil white guy in the room is? Because I, I, I don't I don't know who it is because I can't tell him. Like, is it me? I was like, is it me? My grandfather came here less than 100 years ago. Like, who? who is it? Like, who has this? You know, when we came, it was shit. Like, you know, um, my, you know, my parents had shit. They had no money, you know, uh, grew up in the projects. So I'm like, you know, I don't I don't know who who has all this privilege that you're talking about. Um, so and then and the other thing, too, is like, right, like we don't you know, like you said, you felt you, you feel like that race had an issue. You don't know why you just feel it. But, you know, but even if it did. Right. Even if it did, even if no, it was only just- only with that. And sorry to cut you off. Only with the only issue that I felt was like, you know, race related was between Derek Chauvin. And yeah. Yeah. Floyd, with, like, no, th- with yeah. that incident, with that specific incident. But even if it did. Right. Even if it did. 
even if we had Chauvin as he had a KKK symbol and he's like, I'm going to kill this black dude right here. And he did it in public and he put him on his knees and he shot him in the head. What the hell does that have to do with the entire police department? Every law enforcement member, you know, throw that guy in jail, throw the book at him, maybe give him the death penalty. How do you demonize a whole profession? You know, it's it, it was crazy. So, you know, I, I appreciate that because I always say those same two things all the time, you know. That I, I say that all the time. Like that's you know, so it, it's funny to to hear it to hear you say it too. You know, so I always say that. Would uh would you would you think about the uh, um the Eric Gardner incident? Like what was your thoughts about that? Well, the Eric Gardner incident, uh, you know, I you know, it doesn't look obviously it doesn't look it doesn't look pretty. But I hate when people compare the George Floyd with the Eric Gardner. Like, Derek Silver had his knee on his neck for, like, almost 10 minutes. Uh, uh, 10 minutes or 9 minutes or something. Uh, and and uh, Eric Gardner, he wasn't – nobody had a knee on his neck. Nobody nobody really had him in the choke. They only had him – Danny Pantaleno, from what I see in the video, only had him in the choke to bring him down the ground. Once he brought him down the ground, he took his arm off his neck. So I don't really think, I, I feel like, you know, I, I don't really feel like, you know, I, honestly, Danny Pantaleno getting charged and being fired was actually, was actually wrong in my, in my opinion. And plus, honestly, honestly, the, the person that had to get, should have been took the blame for was the EMS. Like they came and they act like they didn't know what to do. It's their job to figure it out, and they just they just oh are you are you okay are you okay like well wasn't that the police officers just doing that before you got here isn't this your job to like and I think I heard I don't know if she did get fired but I think I heard she did get fired but she she should have did her she should have did her due diligence and try to you know take out the the aid kit put the um what's it what's it called the uh the oxygen machine what's it the ventilator not the ventilator. What's it called? I'm trying no, to remember. The defibrillator. Yeah. Yeah, the defibrillator. You know, put the <laughs> the oxygen on. Like, like I, I'm not an EMS, but she, she's an EMS. Do your job. It's as simple as that. She should have did her job that day. I felt like if she would have did something that day, I would have felt like because uh, sometimes you know that do happens. You know, sometimes it would look like you're dead. You're just you're just unconscious. But like the minute you get um the minute you got um, medical assistance like right away and she was there, she could have easily did it right away. He, I think he would never die. I think he would have went back to life. Yeah. Um, Eric, you want to add anything on that? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. That was in the one one two precincts that um, John and I both were there. So we know the community, we know the culture, we know the area well. Uh, I don't know Daniel Pantaleo personally, but what I heard of him was all good and positive things that he was a positive and he was a, you know, John referred to him as a go-to guy in the precinct. So, and just seeing him doing anti-crime work uh, says he was a, you know, highly skilled work. He only put, you know, you select the best to go on anti-crime. Uh, right. You, know, you gave a positive point of view on this and I really appreciate it. But I know for the most part, what I've heard of the community has been pretty negative. So what, what have you heard about that incident that you've, that's negative? And, and because I'm curious, and I even asked my mother about this. You know, I, I talked to uh, John about this. I asked my mother. I said, and my mother just, just watched the video. She said, oh, that's terrible. I said, well, 
what do you think Daniel Pantaleo could have done? What 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 are his options? My mother said, "Well, arrest him." I said, "Well, that's what he's trying to do." So, if you were Daniel Pantaleo, uh, what do you think his options were or could be, other than the option he chose to place him on the rest? Honestly, there was. They had honestly, they were, there was um to me there was no other option but to put them just to try to put him in handcuffs, and that's what they was doing. Honestly, I really feel like they didn't, you know, I didn't think they did anything wrong. Were they a little rough? But yeah, but look, the um when Danny Pantaleo was trying to bring him down to the ground, he almost hit that glass woman, that glass window. Sorry, and we seen in the video that window was jiggling. So obviously, you know, they both could have easily got hurt. That's that's kind of that's kind of dangerous. So, and uh, but I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, the same thing with George Floyd was the same thing then. Oh, they you know he did it because Danny's um racist. We we got a racist department. Same crap. It was the same crap they said then, and they said they they said it again now. I'm like, oh really, really like this. Mistakes happen, but this doesn't like mean you're racist. And I don't believe at the end of the day, Danny Pensarello. He didn't kill the guy at all. He definitely didn't. And I appreciate well, I appreciate, I appreciate you speaking. Thank on you. That. Yeah. Um. What do you? Oh, by the way, let me add. Um, real quick. That same video that I saw with Danny Pantolino, I've seen that one hundred times, and no, n- none of those people ever died. Yeah, no, I did. I did that move a thousand times. <laughs> I, I most of my arrests were the same way when someone resisted. <clears throat> Take him to the ground, get him cuffed, roll him to the side. Sometimes people pretended like they couldn't breathe. Um, sometimes they didn't. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, I, 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 I spoke on this a million times. I don't think Danny did anything wrong. You know. So, um, it's a, it's unfortunate. I don't think that, uh, it's a tragedy. It is. We don't want anyone to die in our custody. But he did not kill him. He's not responsible for his murder. And you asked me, I thought Danny did the smartest tactic at that point. And this is why I've been going back to uh, Rich. Is it? And I'm so happy that you've been positive about this. I really want to thank you. It takes courage for you to say this because most of the people in the community might not agree with you, especially the negative ones that you've, you've talked about. But here you are. Officer Pantaleo was sent by executives of the NYPD who sent him there to do a job. He was ordered, and he went there, and he was dealing with not just one person, an entire incident. Here you are in Metropolis. He's dealing with Eric Garner, who's refusing to be handcuffed, refusing to get arrested. He has pedestrians. He has buildings. He's got vehicular traffic. We know the area. That's a very busy urban corner. There's a lot going on there. And he wanted to get in and get out, because that's what you taught in the NYPD. Because we, the longer you stay, the larger the crowd. And now we talked about this also in our last podcast about the Oda Loop. That's where you observe, orient, decided at. So Eric Garner had already, his older loop had already made the decision that he was not going to jail. So the more time that Pantaleo waited, that's going to give Eric Garner more time to decide on what actions he's going to take and also for the surrounding crowd that he's getting that's going to incite him to, you know, to kind of perpetuate his idea of not going to jail. So Daniel Pantaleo, for the public, has to understand at this point, he's ordered by the executive to stop this illegal selling of cigarettes, as minor as it may seem. But it's still business. It's affecting people's business and their money. His, his mission 
is to shut this down and bring him into custody. That's his only option. And what is he going to do? He's not going to retract his firearm. He's not going to take his baton because it's just going to re- look ridiculous. Pepper spray is not going to be effective with a large crowd out there. And also, if anybody knows, this is an uphill area. So you're going to mace, potentially try to mace him. It's going to hit everyone else. Okay, obviously at this point, the verbal presence has not worked. He's not going to apply his taser, right? So this, this, you asked me, was the best option. He didn't employ any strikes. He tried to take him down from the head and, and down to the ground. And if you ask me, for my opinion and my jiu-jitsu experience, it's not a chokehold. Uh, it was it was a takedown from the head, uh, and it, but there was no closing of the arteries on both sides. And unfortunately, I'd love to get this message to the public, we do not have the medical history of that person of interest in front of us. We don't know what their condition is. So for that, for the public, if you are in a situation and you're going to be placed on the rest, please understand you are innocent until proven guilty. Let this play out in court. Because we don't know if you're in your 40s and, and, and you don't go to the doctor and you may think you're in great health, but you may have a bad heart. We don't know that. But you're putting yourself at risk when you take that choice that you're going to resist arrest. And resist doesn't have to mean physically throwing punches, but you're just not going to comply. You're putting yourself at risk. Let's let these things play out in court. That's why we have this process. You're absolutely, uh, you're absolutely right, Eric, because... Uh... Um, a lot of people, uh, as young as me, uh, well, not as young as me, but like in their 30s, I'm seeing people get catching heart attacks on, out of nowhere. I'm like, what? This person died? What? This young? Crazy. <laughs> this over a heart attack? So it's like, now, if you it, it, imagine that cop was trying to arrest him for something else and that person would have died. It was the cops for really? No, I don't think so. Thank you. I don't think so. And by the way, uh, real quick, uh, um, yeah, how was your experience, you and um, and John? How was your experience during the time, the aftermath after George Floyd? Like you guys, you know, working on the street and stuff like that. Because I heard a lot of stories. You guys was working like 18, 20 hours. You guys was working. You guys was working like slaves at that time. John, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was out, you know, I was an administrative role at that time, but I was out on the street for about a month when those riots kicked off. Um, and to me, it was it was ridiculous. Uh, nobody could ever tell me and, you know, I might sound like a conspiracy theorist, but nobody could ever tell me that those so-called riots and protests weren't planned. There was a lot of money coming in. There were food trucks. There were people getting water. There were people with radios. There were people with vests, with orange and green vests, and they had radios, and they would radio over camera crews, and there were professional agitators there. And most of the rebel rousers that we locked up, and we only locked up the the really, really egregious agitators, because there was a stand-down order. I don't care what anybody tells me. We watched, you know what I mean? And and the egregious, egregious agitators, um, they weren't, they didn't even live in New York. They weren't even from New York. So I'm like, how are you, how was all this anger? Like, oh, it's just this rage that these people ran out so enraged and started destroying New York City. I never bought it. You know, most of the kids that were out in New York City, there were kids of privilege running around. Oh, you effing Nazis, you this, you that. 
Um, and then there were other kids. What's going on here today, officer? They had no idea, but they were just out with the protest. You know what I mean? And then you just had like, and then, you know, everything was shut down at that time, right? It's COVID. Everybody was cooped up in the house. So you know what? You're a young kid. You're 17. You're 17 to 23. You want to go out and meet girls or you want to go out and have fun? Where do you go? Oh, the only thing's going on are the protests. So that's, and you had all those people out too. So the whole thing to me was ridiculous. It was planned. It was staged. Um, uh, I thought it was horrible. I thought the police department and the leadership did a terrible job. Uh, we could have shut that down in, in three hours and uh, from the minute it sparked off and they were just unwilling to do it and we didn't have the tools to do it. And unfortunately, some of the cops that actually still were trained and policed the way me and Eric did, got caught up in incidents and got fired for nonsense from that. And, you know, immediately following the riots, you've seen the politicians demonizing us, almost blaming us for the riot, almost blaming the NYPD for what the hell was going on. You had Letitia James, you had uh, Bill de Blasio, Eric Adams saying we acted in improperly, you know, it was, and I, and I don't know how, well, it was a violent protest, um, People are being injured, killed, maimed, and, um, you know, you're not safe to walk around, and the city was shut down, and it was just, it was a horrible time to be a cop, and honestly, I started rethinking my family even being in New York City at that point anymore. I still lived in the boroughs, and I was worried about my wife while I'm home 16 hours a day, and I just, the whole time I had in my head, I said, hey, listen, if I hear anything going on in my house, this is my last five minutes at work. And I'm going to run home and I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep them safe. And, and you know, it was a horrible time. Uh, John, that was well said. And everything you said was on point. I think it was a total smoke show. It was a confusing time. And it was a sad time also. Because 2-4-2020, I received my last civilian complaint. The last one of my career. They were all investigated post-2020 once I received eight charges in one year. But the last one that I actually received was June 4, 2020. It was a riot in the South Bronx. It was referred to on the news as a peaceful protest. It was actually the furthest thing from the truth. And to go even further, on June 15, 2020, which was another sad day for myself and the teams, but sad for the city. That was the day they disbanded anti-crime in a short amount of time. And then it, it just felt like, wow, let's throw more, let's throw more, uh, igniter fluid in this fire. Here we had riots, so-called protest, and COVID on top of it. And it was a giant smoke show. And I'll never forget June 4th, 2020. That's the last civilian complaint I got. It was a substantial substantial complaint by the Civilian Complaint Review Board. And that was for damaging property and for using my baton. And do you know in that case, they did not have a named complainant. It's an unknown individual that I received a substantiated complaint for in regards to that. Now, in regards to that, on this particular day, June 4, 2020, several hours before that, we had credible informants that provided information, which led to a car stop that several illegal firearms were recovered, and it had a nexus, a connection to this riot. We also had another car, and there were several occupants in there that had Molotov cocktails. They were arrested. And we had an assembly of gatherings at the corner of 149th Street and 3rd Avenue, which is called the hub in the South Bronx. This is the second business location to Times Square of commercial shopping in the entire city. And here we started getting occupants. And at the time, we were told that we were going to address 
and curfew. And this was a confusing time for myself and the cops because the information from the mayor was that there was a curfew, but don't enforce it. And yet, so this is what we're told by the mayor. There's a curfew, don't enforce it, but the executives, and this is where the leadership failed us. I'm not talking about the captains because the captains became the mules in this situation also. I'm talking about the chiefs that were sending us out there to address this curfew, knowing that we were going to get civilian complaints because we're addressing the curfew, the same one that the mayor said, there's a curfew, but we're not going to address it. So, which I thought is the most ridiculous thing. So here, June 4, 2020, not only that, so these protesters came to the vicinity of 134 Street and Brook Avenue. And there we have housing in PSA 7. And on that, we were actually protecting and ma maintain their safety because a lot of the, uh, the and you, I'll say the thugs, the bad guys that we know that we target in housing, we're telling them, get the fuck out of there. They didn't want them there because they're attracting the police to this particular area. So at this time, and I, the blame is on the executive staff, the higher up chiefs, had given the order to the captains and us below that we were going to kettle this crowd to get them out of there. And sure enough, when I went to the civilian complaint, not one of these chiefs were there, was there to back me up because the CCRB investigators were blaming myself and my teams for kettling this crowd, where I never trained anything about kettling. I didn't even know what kettling was. I knew the definition of it, but I didn't know it as a tactical purpose until we were ordered by these chiefs who never stood up for us in regards to this. So here... And this particular riot that we had, it was the uh, rioters were walking large group, but they were walking downhill. So I'll never forget, we had lined up downhill to address this crowd. And all I could see was urine was being thrown, glass bottles. There were bricks being thrown. I'll never forget, I see there's a, a house there. I'm, I'm sorry, this is actually 135 Street, 135 Street. And I see a couple of these rioters. They climbed the fence and they tried to grab a wheelbarrow to throw it at the cops. So I got a conglomerate of things going on. And then I see one guy takes a drumstick and throws it and hits one of my cops in the head. So it was at that point, you see this article that's all over the TikTok and the newspapers. At that point, I decided, well, you know what? We have to use the resources of what we have. I learned in the Marine Corps, adapt and overcome. So at this point, we couldn't see, we couldn't see too much because we're downhill, but we could see the stuff as it's flying in the air, the debris, but I can't see where it's coming from. So I made a decision. I said, you know what? I don't have a ladder to climb up. I don't have a building. So I climbed up on top of the car so that I could get better, uh, a, a better advantage point. So I could see at that point, once I got to the top of the car, I could see particular persons of interest and perpetrators that were throwing violent stuff at the cops. And at that point, I took the baton. I started to put it in the crowd to create space so that I could get inside the crowd to help. And that was where the Civilian Complaint Review Board said I made a misleading statement, saying that I wasn't using my baton in that manner and that I was using it to time all people. And in addition to that, the Civilian Complaint said that I purposely damaged this car. And I'm sorry that we did damage. We did. We damaged the windshield and we damaged this car. But unfortunately, it was a byproduct of this riot. And it was a necessary tool for and they had asked me at the civilian complaint investigators, were you taught to use a car for, for egress? I said, no, but we are taught to use our resources and to adapt and overcome. That's what police officers should do to think outside the box. So they charged me with damaging the property and they charged me using my baton and they had unnamed individuals. They did not have a complainant. 
In that case, I was substantiated. Um, and that riot was violent. It was not a protest. And we treated these people with kick gloves. It couldn't have been more kind. Plenty of cops were getting struck in the face. They were hurt because we were not using the appropriate force that we should because of the optics. I, that wow. is horrific, man. I, I I don't I don't know if you caught all that, Rich, but I'm listening to this. I got I got I'm sick to my stomach listening to this. So it was a peaceful protest because the media said it was a peaceful protest. You're getting stuff thrown at you. You jump up on a car to see who's actually doing it, so to make way. Is that is that the picture that they post to you everywhere where you, where you yes. up on the car? That's that photo. Yes. That's a great so photo, Matt, by the way. I'm gonna frame that photo. I'm gonna put it behind <laughs> me over here. I love that photo. I actually want a signed autograph photo of that one. Uh, I'm, gonna put it right by, I'm gonna put it right on my wall of fame right here. Um, but yeah, that is that is insane. That is insane. So, so I mean, uh, that's crazy. Uh, I, I I I don't I don't want to. I, I I just I can't even. I I can't even get into that. that. That's absolute insanity. So no complaining. You get up on the car. Yes, you damaged the car, but you did it to to save life to protect and preserve life and you get substantiated by unknown complainants. That is disgusting. That yes. is absolutely disgusting. Um, so, so Rich, you asked us about it. What was your feelings <clears throat> during that time as a citizen in New York city? What were your feelings during the riots? Um, and, did, and did we answer your questions? Do you have any follow-up for, for Eric? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah. What the, um, like the whole writing, yeah, um, yeah, there was a story about you about the June fourth, but I was talking about like the um, like the first two three days that this you know when y'all start hearing people are breaking into businesses and Fordham, um, Union Square and all this like uh, were were you guys ever deployed to certain places um, during that time? Yeah, I mean, I was deployed in the city. Yeah, I was the like I said, I was deployed in the city from right away to the, to the two weeks. Yeah, and it was it was awful. Like I said, it was uh, you know, it was like I like I said, like I went into it like it's just it was there was a complete lack and failure in leadership. We were basically given a stand down order. There were no clear messages. Just exactly what Eric was saying. And then, you know, Eric responded. Eric was the, the special operations lieutenant, so he was more geared into staying into the Bronx at that time. I'm correct with that, right, Eric? John, you're 100% correct. But I want, I, want, I want to add on that. The terrible leadership that we had gotten, it was a stand-down order. And I'll tell you how it was a stand-down order. So John probably remembers this, that every day there were several locations that were assembly points where cops from all over the city would go to different points so that they would be, they would be sent out to different locations in response to potential riots. Randall's Island was one location. Lower Manhattan, there was different spots. And the irony to this, and I would laugh about it, they would send the cops to these locations, and they were going nowhere with these potential riots or protests where they were going to areas where they may, may suppress shootings in the 6-7 precinct or in the 7-5, nowhere true. near a riot. They, wanted, they, didn't want, they didn't want a presence. And that's why you saw it in areas like the 4-6 recent Florida where these cops were overran and outnumbered because they weren't deploying the cops in the appropriate spots. Exactly what you said, John. It was a stand-down order. It was a giant smoke show and they left these cops vulnerable and they could have been killed. And sure enough, we did have cops that were severely injured. There was a cop yeah. in Brooklyn that was stabbed in the neck because they didn't have the, the deployment in the appropriate spots. 
It was a giant smoke show, and we know it. And, and it's sad. Uh, uh, sorry. No, 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 no please. No, keep, keep going. <clears throat> Ask away. Uh, <laughs> no, so that, sorry, that time, uh, my business was shut. Uh, so my uncle had this, like, little job for me in the nursing home. You know, they was funding extra money for disinfecting, cleaning, something like. So I was doing that, but I was doing 4 to 12. And, you know, the curfew was, I think, what, up to 8, 10 or something like that. 8 o'clock. Well, I get off at 12, but I had a, I had a letter because it's a nursing home. Um, so when I came, so when I came out, you know, I heard people are talking about, oh, right in the Bronx and my Bronx. I'm like, man, that's shame. Never going to happen. I drove past Fordham. I said, oh, <laughs> what the? <laughs> I, it was like, yo, I'm like, yo, this got to be, this has to be a dream. I never thought this shit would happen. <laughs> this gotta be a freaking dream. Honestly, yeah, I was there the nights because I came out of work and sometimes I don't go to bed right away until like three, four in the morning. Um, so I was driving around because I was, re- I, I really wanted to watch this because I'm like, you know, I don't, you probably, probably only hear about this every in New York, at least every 50, 100 years. 50, 100 years. So I really wanted this. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it, but I, you know, I was just watching just to see. And, and I saw a lot of cops. They were struggling that day. Some of them, I, some of them, there was just two of them in the corner. They couldn't, they couldn't really do much. There was way more people, way more rioters than cops that day. I seen, I seen where like five vans pulled up on Webster Avenue by the Best Buy. And uh, they had like these rubber bullets and they just started shooting that out of nowhere but it was like it was like the deploying like the deploying part yeah it wasn't they wasn't ready for it because some and Fordham what I saw was all right Fordham Plaza it's uh, most of you guys staying over there but then you got people going up to the Foot Locker by Valentine Avenue up the block and then you only have two cops across the street and they're limited to what they can what they can do the funny honestly and yeah, a lot of cops could have got hurt. I saw one tackled to the ground on Burnside Avenue. That one, it was this big, heavy set dude. Um, so there was people screaming, "Cops, cops!" And then, <laughs> yo, know, I'm be honest, it was it was kind of funny because once you're screaming like this, thirty people inside Jimmy Jazz, thirty people inside, and then one person screaming, "Cops, cops!" And the gate is only like like halfway down or something like i guess it was and the surprising thing was there was two cops it was a guy and a girl and i'm like what are these guys gonna do but i gotta give it to them they dead tried (laughs) but the guy almost got hurt because um everybody's running out they running out like roaches like they coming out like and they have to go under the gate because the gate wasn't even fully open so like they really like they all hurting themselves this one big guy lift up the gate himself, and the cop was right there. Yo, he was so huge. And then, like, he's holding, like, two of his arms full of clothes. He just t- tackled the officer. <laughs> and then and then he was out. And then the officer got up, and he called one that had clothes. And then the guy, and then he threw him against the wall. The guy threw the clothes, like, yeah, yeah I'm good. And he's like, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> he's like, get out of here. Uh, yeah, th- those two cops—they wanted to do something that day, but they was limited what they could uh, do. 
because it was a, it was just a lot of people. It was a really a lot of people. It was something. It was like the movies, but real life. Like I only see shit like this in the movies. I, I was like, yo, I can't believe it. Uh, oh, and then some group of hooligans they hit my car, and you know, I just let. I I couldn't call you guys. You guys was busy, so. So, I mean, crazy but, um, times, I'm, crazy times. It was crazy. I, I wanted to ask you, John, real quick. I know it's been like two hours. I wanted to see. Um, there was still like maybe two, three things that I wanted to get into that would be, um, you know, really interesting for the public and the retired cops and the cops now that can actually hear this. Uh, I don't know if we have time for part two or, you know, if you I mean, want to keep on as we're going. I'm open to it, John. Is- if you guys are good, let's let's just do it, and then I'll edit out some parts. That's it. Let's just let's just keep going, and uh, you know what I mean. Sounds good. All right, perfect, no problem. Um, so, what, what in particular do you want it? What, what do you want to go to? I kind of want to go on to the the political side of this, like how you feel about the politics in New York City. How do you feel about? the job that uh, Eric Adams is doing currently after taking over for Bill de Blasio. And how do you feel about uh, Kathy Holchel as governor? Oh yeah. I want to get into that. And um, I wanted to get into two things uh, was the the transit. I wanted to see if you two guys ever had um, any experience. I know um, Eric had a lot with housing, but have you guys ever did like a transit detail? Like, like overtime or something like what was your if you and if you guys did what was your experience working with transit because right now transit is like the crime is the the biggest topic but the biggest one is really inside the train and the second part was going to be about like you know the whole vaccination thing but you know one at a time let's start with transit (laughs) yeah sure i mean I'll, i'll talk about transit i was always a precinct cop um so i did have to go down to transit um, unfortunately, I went down a few times when people got stuck on the train or got hit by a train. So I experienced some suicide, some accidental death on the train. I did experience some violence on the train. Uh, I've responded to incidents where a cop actually shot a perpetrator and killed and killed a perpetrator. And actually, the cop was shot himself on a train. Um you know, uh, but at the time when I did that, you know, we were a proactive police force. Um, and so even though I was never a transit cop, I never really had a fear to go down into transit because I, I would enforce law the same way I did up top. Um, and, you know, I just feel like as we go away from as we go away from enforcing the law, um, you know, for minor crimes, you know, and then, then we, it, it, that spills over into, right. Like into, you know, beating the transit fare, which is a minor crime, which you could say is a crime of poverty, right? Oh, I need to take the train. I don't have the money. Uh, but it does, it really does deter a lot of other things and it deters on CD characters from getting on. And I just feel again, like stepping back from minor crimes and stepping back from enforcement and stepping back from prosecuting criminals or putting a fear of incarceration inside of criminals. Um, When there is no incarceration, there's no potential for it. I just feel like that's opened up the transit to be a very dangerous and scary place. And New York city is once again, a city of crime based on, politics i don't believe it's the police i believe yes the police leadership but the police leadership is appointed by the politicians 
you know? Right. But I can tell you, I never, I was never assigned to transit in my career on, on a steady basis. I've done some details out to transit a few times in my career. Most of my career was spent in housing, but I did respond to a lot of calls for help in, in the police world. The radio code is 1085. So I respond to a lot of calls for help. And in the past two years, I, when I would respond to some of those incidents, I would say, damn, my heart goes out to these transit cops right now because for one, it's so hot down there and you can just see it's the, the, it would start to smell like you wouldn't get before. And uh, the homeless, the vagrants that were uh, occupying transit. I mean, you could see the difference. You know, I, I like the subway myself to travel here and there, you know, going to a show or something like that. I, I like the subway. It's, it's, a, it's always a good experience. But now it's just decimated. And you can see it's just not the same. But I can tell you, what's a, and I know it's getting worse and scary because being a special operational tenant, I used to monitor these target repeat offenders that were in possession of legal firearms. And I would always work with the local transit guys and the field intelligence and the citywide vandals task force that would work in transit because I would let them know, hey, listen, uh, this guy, guy, he's very transient. He travels. He's got to, let's say I worked at the South Bronx. And there's a lot of movement between the South Bronx and Harlem. So I would contact the guys that were out there and say, listen, I got this guy. I know he's got a girlfriend in the vicinity of, of the two train or whatever the case is. You know, these are times he travels. And sometimes, like John was saying, they would stop these guys for low-level offenses, maybe not paying the transit fare, and retrieve some of these illegal firearms. So it would reduce shootings and crime. But now with, uh, with the bail reform and also this um, – this dec uh, decriminalization of certain uh, violations, we wouldn't get those firearms. So these guys were very comfortable, these target offenders that we had, with utilizing the subway for their movements and carrying these illegal firearms. I mean, one of the guys in particular that I had in the last in the year of uh, 2022 committed a shooting on transit in the 2-5 area in, in, in Harlem. Um, and one of our known gang members. So it's it's a scary place right now. It really is. All right. Anything else you want to ask us, please feel free. You know, this is a great opportunity to get to speak to cops and a control environment that are willing to tell you. And I can tell you this. We want to tell you the truth of right. our experience, fact, and anecdote. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely... Um... It's like, wow. Um, first, I was excited. I thought I was ready to get in the podcast, but then, you know, I got a little nervous because, <laughs> you know, I know people are actually going to um, are going to hear me, which is fine. Um, so I'm just trying to, like, you know, refresh in my mind, like, what are some of the things I was going to ask you? Yeah, one of the things I was going to ask you was transit. Uh, that that George, I wanted to go back to that George Floyd incident because about that, the um, you know, deploying the officers. Um, there was a big, there was a big article with the, um, 88th precinct in Brooklyn where I heard, I heard they almost, um, they almost got, um, ran over, like, like, like if it was going to be another situation where the, they said the police, I, I never knew what this was. That's why I wanted to ask you guys, what, what is a level three that the police commissioner had to put out a level three for that precinct? Uh, I think it was the 29th or 30th of May or something like that. 
Okay. John, want to go ahead? You can do it if you want. You want to, you want to talk about mobilizations? You can tell them what a mobile. Yeah, sure. It's exactly that. And so it, there's different levels in the, in the police department of mobilizations. The most common one on the local precinct level would be a level one. And a, a level one to respond would be, you know, it, it, back in the day it was task force. Now it's the SRG group that responds. An ESU truck. You can even utilize aviation. And then then it goes all the way up to level four. Once once you go to level four, you're, everyone's responding, including housing and transit. Level three is a certain amount of personnel from each borough that responds to a particular location. So it's, a, it's about manpower and utilization. So levels is just different categories. With each level, you get more resources. If that, if that just try to sim, uh, simplify this as, as much as possible, not to have to go too much into detail. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because I heard it was like a thousand. They had to send out like a thousand cops because they was uh, they was getting run over. Some cops even got um, beaten up. There was um, the one cop. He was wearing a white shirt. And I saw him in a video before. He um, he, he he got injured uh, with his uh, teeth. Uh, he had a white shirt on at that time. I guess he was um, I don't know if he was a captain or inspector or something like that. But, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I think. No, I don't think lieutenant. I think because it, it, it didn't look the, it didn't have that line. It had like some weird looking thing. It looked at, I think maybe he was an inspector. Or something. It was at the eight eight. It was an inspector. I forget who it was, but it was it was the inspector that got hurt that night. Yeah, oh, okay. he, yeah, he got beat up. Yeah, right at the eight eight. That was the first night of the riots. That was right after. That's where it sparked off. You know, right there at the eight eight precinct. And it was it's weird, you know, that they picked that precinct. It's just the the whole thing. Like I said, I, I like the whole again. I think that it was staged right from the get-go it was there was there was planned coordination that was it was a horrible incident and i believe you guys that that thing was kind of that thing was kind of staged like it was an opportunity it was an opportunity for opportunists for criminals and stuff because everybody's everybody's home they're stressed out they're depressed they don't know with the COVID situation they don't know if they're gonna you know get their job back get their life back at that time they're just upset and frustrated. A uh, hundred things is going with these guys' mind. And it was like, it was like nobody else had to go to school, work. Like, I really feel like it was planned because once this situation happened, everybody, uh, wait, you guys hear me? Hey. Okay, yeah. Um, everybody, everybody just started jumping into the situation like, all right, it's, we ain't got nothing to do. Let's just go out there and protest. And then, and then they saw they. Then I feel like certain groups was trying to target certain part protesters. Like, oh hey, this is what we got planned. You want to join us? And people are like, hey, fuck it. I ain't got you know. I ain't got shit to do. I ain't got a job. Um, you know what I mean? Um, ain't ain't nothing much to do. Let's go out. Let's go out and do it, dude. That day when I came out, I won't ever forget. I seen people. 70 years <laughs> going into these stores taking stuff. I'm seeing grandma like with a big bag. I'm like, damn, grandma. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like damn, grandma. Like it, it was an opportunity literally for everybody. I've seen kids, I've seen old people, I've seen seen it all. Everybody was out there getting stuff. Me as a business owner, it was like, nah, I can't do that. Like, 
you know, I ain't got, I, I would lie to you saying I wasn't tempting to because it was like, it's like all these guys, all this stuff is free anyway. But then I, I came up to my sense, like, you know what? Nah, it's not, you know, I wouldn't want that to happen in my business, even though I don't have a business like that, like a storefront, because we're like mobile, basically. Um, but luckily, I, I was just watching these guys like, oh, my God, these guys are crazy. Everybody's jumping around. It, it, it was chaotic. It was it was something like I don't think we'll ever see again. And and I don't want to see it again. That shit is that, that, that shit is definitely not cool. Right into some of some of these businesses. Uh, then there's something else I was going to say, but then I forgot. Would, uh, it's not the time to be shy, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what would you think about the mandates? You know, you said you wanted to ask us about it. What, what did you think about it? Were you affected at all by the mandates? Like, what did you think? Was anyone in your family, friends? Like, how how'd you feel about that? Oh yeah, that. Listen, man. man listen. Man. Mayor de Blasio, yo, he's the worst mayor ever. And like you said, free, free opinions. Like you said, I could say anything. I could say anything. Say what you want. Beautiful. I don't want to go to jail, but the day if I have to is because I'm slapping Mayor de Blasio in his face. I'm going to slap him. He, yo, last year was was it was it was chaotic for me for my business. Every day he's putting in a new rule, a new this and that. On top of that, I'm dealing with my employees catching COVID. Oh, boom, I got two less employees. Oh, boom, the boss, me, I catch COVID. Like, it was a stressful year for him to come up. Now, most of it, you know, because I'm really a small business. I don't really, you know, I don't have a storefront. I run mobilized, like I was saying earlier. But my clients are the supermarkets and the clients are, are the storefront business. So when it was affecting them, it was also affecting me. And I really have some good business relationship with these guys. So it, it was like, damn, I don't, I seen the stress it was doing to them. And then some of it was doing to me. Like I heard, you know, oh, we got to mandate our employees to get vaccinated. I'm like, catch me when you can, because I'm not doing that to my workers. And I already, I already, I already came up with like 1 million ideas all right, if this happens, if this happens, like what what I what I'm gonna do to protect my business? Like seriously, like what I'm gonna do? I, I I'm not. I, I was thinking about getting the vaccine. I choose not to. Maybe one day I'll do it. Maybe not. I don't know. It's my body, my opinion, my choice. But whether I do it or not, I shouldn't force my employees. I shouldn't force anybody out there to do it. And especially when my business picked right back up, um, like three months after the shutdown. And these guys was the only ones doing the job for me. It was hard to even hire people. So it was like, yeah, the um, like, yeah, you know, policing is a tough job, but it's the same, you know, it's the same as any, not the same as any other job, but you, you guys get the point with the employees, rules and boss. It goes all, it, it goes all together. Like you were saying, why would we force our cops that was out here during the COVID time you know, to get a vaccine. Like, these were the only guys out here coming into work, making sure the streets were safe. Like, you know, that's wrong. And that's wrong for me to do that to my employees. And if you guys can't, if you guys can't force me, you guys, I'm not going to force my employees. Shit. I'm, I'm not. Oh, um, the vaccine. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. <laughs> sorry. The main point that I wanted to bring up about this vaccination, what's happened a couple of weeks ago, was um, now, I guess, the Supreme Court had said they got to um, reimburse or reinstate 
um, you guys back in the job and reimbursed the money you guys um, um, lost during the time. So how does that, you know, how does that um, work more or less? And I heard the mayor try to appeal that, like, well, we know he was going to try to do that anyways, unfortunately. So so the, the first podcast I put out was actually about a cop that was fired who was a church elder who had an approved religious exemption from the NYPD and he got fired. And I actually just spoke to him today. He just called me. And um, basically the judge said that the judge said that all the cops need to be reinstated and with back pay and anyone that was affected and these mandates, they did not, you know, the NYPD did not follow procedure whatsoever. And I think that, 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 ruling holds true for every other agency as well too even though every other agency had different procedures so the, it was a whole debacle it wasn't like a whole um city-wide like bring down of the mandates where like uh, you know the nypd implemented it totally differently than the fdny did and 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 then the teachers did and all these other places but uh Basically, again, we have a failure in leadership. There's no integrity in leadership. And now the main law enforcement agency in the city is not complying with the judge's order, you know, and the police unions are silent about it because they stopped. What they stopped doing was stop sending out and denying um denying religious exemptions appeals on religious exemptions so the the pba and the and the dea and all the other unions went away because they stopped firing cops and putting guys in the position where they had to choose between either leaving like i did or take the shot or be fired um you know Mayor Adams says that we volunt- I voluntarily left. I didn't voluntarily leave. I was given an ultimatum, and I would refuse to comply with, a, with an unlawful order. So the judge rules on that. The city's required by law to do that. They don't. Instead, the city law department puts out a message that they will stop the they will stop terminating guys and sending out decisions on the appeals until until their appeal is heard because they're appealing that judge's decision so right now all the guys and girls that are fired um the city should at this point be held in contempt of court the unions should be suing them and holding them in contempt of court but anyone that was fired from the nypd currently is still terminated is in limbo and if they reach out to their union or personnel or anyone else they just have the clear i don't know i don't know just keep waiting you know because no one knows and the leadership in the nypd at this point is they're all appointed puppets in my opinion you know and i i don't know i don't see integrity in them at all. I don't know how anyone's not speaking out about this. I don't know how the police commission is not speaking out about this. Um, you know, there's a big problem in integrity now. We're going to deny a judge's decision or just completely ignore it and only just do the parts that we think it's okay, right? That, you know, we're supposedly a nation of law, not of men. But today with these mandates, we're seeing that we're a city of whatever uh, whatever Eric Adams decides, which is not, you know, elections do not change law. 
You know what I mean? Just because his opinion of something that should it doesn't make it legal. So city of New York still violating the uh, these these uh, these unfortunate people's rights and they are not complying with the law and specifically the NYPD. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I wanted to ask. Um, so but what happens? Because, you know, most of the time when the Supreme Court or frankly, any court. Uh, makes a decision and then you want to appeal it's it's really hard to appeal and i think they're not going to win this battle with the supreme court so if they lose this battle with the supreme court they got to do they have to do what they say right like you know reimburse them and try to reinstate them if they want to get reinstated which most of them are not going to want to come back they're just going to be like well i'll take the money but i won't take the job you know i, I would have did the same thing like yeah hey, give me all them six months you owe me screw you i'm out <laughs> well, well no, I, I actually, you know, I, I think a lot of the guys would come back, you know, um, it's, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of people, you know, love this job. They love being a cop, you know, um, specifically the kid that was on my podcast, he would love to go return to the NYPD and do his job. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. He's like, he was fulfilling his dream by doing that. Um, so yeah, right now, Eric Adams is violating a judge's order he should be held in contempt of court so should the city law department so should the police commissioner they are denying the judge's order under the appeal while they appeal um they're denying they're only you know they're saying they're voluntarily gonna stop doing that they're not voluntarily doing anything the guy's order stands they would they were supposed to shut it down right then and there reinstate those guys give them their money back um because they illegally denied everyone religious medical exemptions and honestly they 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 really had no basis to ever put the mandate up um because they could never tell anybody what hardship they were causing the city what hardship what was the hardship that an unvaccinated person caused the city that a vaccinated person didn't and We've never heard other anything other than Mayor Eric Adams say that, well, this is New York. And I don't know what the fuck that means. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a brand. It's a brand. <laughs> it's a brand. Hey, I personally, hey, listen, I personally like Eric Adams. You know, I like, you know, he 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 go his his little attracting of going to parties and clubs. I'm into that type of stuff. But you got you gotta do a better job, man. Like this is the first man ever that I've seen partying a lot in <laughs> the first year, too, at that. Yeah, I mean, I don't care that he parties. I don't give a shit. I'll go hang out with him, too. I, I like the nightlife. I like to go eat steaks. I just don't tell everybody I'm a vegan and then go out and eat $1,000 steaks every night. And I don't, you know, tell everybody how I'm, how I'm against how I don't Oh, really? He's cheating on his vegan? He's not, he's not vegan. How many vegans you know go to a steakhouse every night? <laughs> what do you got? The, the, one, the one vegan option they get you know? <laughs> you know it's uh you know and then like you know and again you know he was you know he he you know the mayor had diabetes and he was given a regimen of medicine to take and he decided not to and he decided to heal himself naturally through diet and i applaud him for that so and he basically said he wasn't going to be be a slave to Big farmer, And now here he is trying to whip the masses into shape to be a slave to Big farmer. And, I, you know, I think he's a complete hypocrite. I think that he's doing an awful job on on policing. Like, how do you how do you feel about the city since he's a uh, since he's taken office? What do you feel about his job? Personally, I got no problem with the guy. Uh, uh, professionally, I think he's a horrific. 
you know? Uh, I, I don't know. I got mixed feelings about Eric Adams. Like, uh, you know, he's doing his job. He's not doing his job. Uh, one thing I can't say that he did that um, my nephew uh, is really is really caught benefit benefit out of it was um, during the summertime he put this program for kids in school like going out to these field trips they had like you know these arts and craft these dancers and it'll be and they'll have it during the afternoon hours so it's like when your kid come back by six seven o'clock you know he's drained out he's not gonna want to do anything. But he had fun. He had a lot of learning experience and all that. So, like, that's a one good thing because I, I sure hell didn't have that as a kid. I would have joined if I had that as a kid. Like, and, and my nephew go to the same middle school that I was going to. So I, I was really happy that he had that experience. That kind of, you know, kept him away from going outside because certain neighborhoods, you know, certain parents wouldn't want their kids out there. And uh, that's, like, one of the good things I can say. And, you know, I definitely applaud him for that. But, like, I feel, like, like you say, being kind of hypocritical when it comes to certain issues. But one thing I could say is I'd rather him than de Blasio. Like, yes, I personally don't like de Blasio. He he is the worst mayor of the city. If Eric Adams becomes the worst, nobody's going to beat Mayor de Blasio. He is number one. He is number one. At least, you see, I, the only good thing I can say about Adams with the police department is, yes, most of the time I hear him in the news when they question about, all oh, the shooting, like the one that just happened um, the other day over there in uh, 207 or Dykeman Street, whatever those blocks are in Washington Heights. Um, the guys had a gun. We told them a hundred times, put it down, put it down. He didn't listen. This cop want to go home tonight. Now, now, like, yeah, maybe behind the curtains, he may not be doing the support he needs, but it's important that he show face and say that. Unlike de Blasio, um, it looked horrible. We're, we're investigating. What do you mean we're investigating? You're the mayor. You should know what happened by now. Like, you, you should know what, what happened by now. So why are you saying, why are you saying this? We're investigating. Oh, you guys got to... Light touch, man. You guys are you guys are too tough, man, on people. You guys got to do a light touch. Like what? What? <laughs> like, you you see what I'm saying? Is like, and then right there, right there, and especially during the COVID, everybody was watching the news. Like, no tomorrow. Everybody is listening to this guy, and then the you know the riots and all this stuff. Like, oh, the mayor is like, oh no, nah, the cops got to go easy on us. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna listen. I, they cannot like the mayor, but they're gonna listen to him. Now, with this guy, a lot of people really don't like him because he used to be a cop. And, yeah, it's definitely not about black and white no more. It's definitely like what um, Tim said. It's blue. They they don't like him because he was a cop. Oh, he was ex-police this. He was that. Now he's going to try to bring the anti-crime back, this, that, and the third. And, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't bullshit around it. Yes, I'm going to bring anti-crime back. Yes, this thing um this thing happened they had to do it for a reason so i kind of i know i know behind the curtains he might be doing something completely different but at least the whole tv part at least it kind of you know it kind of shows that we don't really have a weaker leadership than we had before you know and i feel like he's also limited of what he can do that's why this governor race is even more important and i really hope lee zeldin uh, wins 
Eric, you got anything to add? And then uh, I guess we'll give Rich the last words, you know, and then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I just want to ask you, John, why do you think, why do you think the mayor doubled down on de Blasio's decision to go with these mandates? I, you know, again, so, you know, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but the Project Veritas videos came out, you know. Yes. Um, it appears that they used a reporter was sleeping with Chris Ball, who's a little half man himself, who got robbed recently, a few months back. I don't know if you remember. He was the dude that got yeah. robbed of his wallet. And he was like, I, I, you don't know what you're doing. I work for the mayor. Right. And yeah. So whatever. It looks like he was maybe there was some type of relationship with this reporter and they get him spilling the beans. And, uh, Basically, he makes a couple of big statements in there. He says that by 2026, New York City is going to be bankrupt. He says that this this uh, migrant crisis that's coming through, and I don't believe it's a crisis. I believe that it's a, it's complete incompetence and leadership is going to bankrupt the city even faster than that because there's not a limit on to what the amount of migrants that will come in. Um, so, again, like I said, like – when I first, when the thing hit home for me, really, and I, I was forced to make a decision to leave a career I love and the city that I grew up in my whole life, and I thought I would die in, and the city that my every, I have, my family's buried throughout the whole city, I uh, I said, it. this is defund the police. This is defund the police. Eric Adams is full of shit. Um, he's just trying to defund the police. But now that I back now that I'm looking at it from a larger picture and I speak to teachers that were fired and nurses that were fired and firefighters and everybody and private sector employees. And I'm like, why would he do this? Why would he get, he caused all this damage to New York city. And he basically bankrupted. He put so many businesses out of the city. And I still don't even know how any of these business let any of these politicians in, including the guys on the right. I wouldn't let any of them in my business. I wouldn't serve them. I would be like, everyone could eat here, except if you're in elected office. Cause you've done a horrible job, but like now looking at it, I truly believe that the city is in dire straits. Um, the oh. Democrats stay together. They do not break rank ever. Never, never, never. Right. Even when they give a message against one another, it, that message was approved. And I firmly believe that the city's doing horribly due to their policies. The city is going bankrupt. And this is a way, easy way to do layoffs for the city. Get rid of the people who are not going to who I don't care about anyway, because most likely they, uh, you know, they're people of faith or there are people that will question my authority anyway, so I don't need any of those people around me anyway, and I'm going to do a mass layoff and save the city a few billion dollars just off of that. We'll figure out where we'll come up the money on the rest. That's why I believe that Eric Adams went um John, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think this is years in the making, and it goes back to, unfortunately, sometimes the cops are so one-track minded, and they only go by what they've been hearing all the past years. So I would tell some of the cops from my experience uh, that the pension is a great added benefit if you know how to use the resource. And I would tell guys, hey, uh, you know, I would hear guys say, oh, well, I'm looking for a house. I need to buy a house. And I, I don't know where to find the funds. So I said, do you ever take a pension loan before? And guys like, no, no. They said don't ever take a pension loan. So I used to ask the guys, let me ask you a question. I would say, what tier are you? The guy said, he's tier two. I said, if you know nothing about the pension system, let me ask you this. 
Why is it that tier three personnel can't take a pension loan? Do you think it's because they care about their pension? Do you ever ask yourself why? Well, there's a great reason. The pension system was started as basically a Ponzi scheme. So if you go back to year, years before, it would take two guys, two guys working to pay someone's pension. And then as time goes on, as inflation comes on and people live longer and they live and they have lifelong pensions, now it takes four guys working to pay that pension. But now we're at a point where people live much longer. They have higher pension rates. The guys stay on a job longer. And the city is running bankrupt. They don't know how to run these pension systems. They've used the pension systems. They've abused it. I mean, you even hear the term. I always hear guys, oh, I'm staying until 25. And I would say, why? Oh, because they bank the variable. I go, really? Bank the variable. If anybody knows what the variable is, that's every December. It's not a bonus. I know Bloomberg like to refer to it as a bonus. It's not a Christmas bonus. It's a contractual agreement that allows for a monetary amount every December when you retire. Uh, now, in regards to that, the variable supplement fund, uh, th there is this perception that it's a bonus, right? Uh, wh where was I with this? I'm sorry. But we're going back to you with this uh, pension system. When it comes to loans, these pension systems, can they survive in 20, 30 years? I, I don't think so. Probably not. I mean, I mean, obviously, if you look at it the way we're going, we're better off going with a 457 or 401k because we don't know where these pensions are going to be. So, you know, if people are making the decision to retire now, they should because, they, like I said before, they said that they banked the variable. Now, to me, you don't get much interest in a bank, but you get something. And when these guys, after doing 25 years, they just give them the amount that they get with zero interest. So you've wasted that time where you could have invested this money into something while you're on the uh, while you're during retirement. So to me, that's not an attractive factor. But I want to tell you this on a side note. I'm extremely proud of you that you had the guts and the goals to stand for what you believe in. Because, you know, I'm a firm believer. I've read some of these economics books. And Dave Ramsey says that, the average American, I think it was 80%, maybe 75, 75 to 80% is two paychecks away from being homeless. So that's why I feel that these politicians knew that these mandates would actually work because people were forced to take it because the average person is two paychecks away from being homeless. So that's scary. So for you to have the fortitude and the goals to stand there with a family that you have to support, to stand up what you believe in and seek out a new life, and stand your ground. I'm super proud of you because I had heard people talking. Your name had came up. And that's how I started talking to you again. Your name came up and said, hey, this guy, Johnny Mac, you know, he retired with the vaccine. And I remember saying, who the hell is Johnny Mac? You know? And like, oh, I don't know. So I looked it up because I was like, wow, this guy's got balls. Look at this guy's getting forced to get the vaccine. Uh, and they're doing it. And all these guys were saying, no, I'm not going to get it. But when push came to shove, they took it. And then when I saw it was you, man, I couldn't be more proud. I said, oh, I worked with that guy when he first came on the job. Man, I was super proud. I'm super impressed. I wish I had the balls to do that. That is impressive, you know. And, and Rich, I want to thank you, man, for coming out here and have the balls to stand up in the community and have this open discussion and so that we can mend ideas and talk. Man, that's the key to communication. You have a woman, you have a relationship. If you don't talk, it breaks down, right? She wants you to listen to her. We just want people to listen to us, and you want to be heard. You want people to listen to you. Man, I have nothing but respect for you. Thank you very much. He's there? Rich, you there? You hear us? 
Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. I so, fell, uh, you probably fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not falling asleep. I'm no, not no, falling I'm asleep. I'm just, no, just kidding. So, but yeah, Rich, I, I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you coming on. Um, And I, I you know, we leave, uh, you know, I always leave get all the guests with the words. So, we, with the last word. So, we'd like to just open the floor to you if you just want to end with anything and and, and we'll, we'll, we'll end it here. All right. Um, well, first for the, um, you know, for the police department, you know, I, you know, I appreciate what you guys are, especially now out there, you know, doing the best you can to, to try to fight crime and, you know, try to, um, you know, satisfy the people that are depending on you guys, because, uh, you know, they always said the, the guys that are anti-cops are the loudest voice. But the loudest um, ones that support the cops are the ones that call 911. They will not um, call nine, uh, well, call the police, actually, because 911 could be fire department, EMS. But they would not support the cops if they wouldn't call them that day. And that just shows that, um, that just shows there are a lot of people out there that do support the police. They just, they just can't, it's hard for them to speak on it. And I believe now, is the most important time to speak about it. And the more we have, the more we have the, um, you know, the community come out and speak about like, yo, we need more police. Um, we need, you know, we need them to do their jobs and we, we, we just need them. It's, a, it's the most essential job. It's the most essential thing that we need in society. Without, I can't imagine how this world would be without police anywhere. And, and yeah, and for the and again for the police, yeah, any every nine one one call, even if it's like the smallest thing, car accident, you know, um, try try your best to respond as quickly as possible because they're really counting on you. They're really depending on you guys. And, and yeah, like Eric said the other day, it's the worst day when a person calling nine one one is like the worst day in their lives. So. <clears throat> So it's really important to show up as soon as possible as you guys um, come. I can understand that certain certain um, situations might be bigger than other and you may not be able to handle the 911 call. But even even with that, you know, just you guys, it's really hard. To, I know it's really hard for the police right now to do their job, but, you know, try your best. People like myself are counting on you guys. We're still depending on you guys. And remember, there are some people out there that, that do support you guys and that do um, depend on you guys. And yeah, thanks for all, all the hard work that you guys did before and what you guys are doing even now. Um, and especially, especially um, you, John and Eric, I don't care what nobody says about Eric. Yeah. He got 115. All right. Let it be 200. I, I, I feel Eric is a good person. I feel like he's a good cop. I, I really feel he Eric should honestly be the person training the new guys in the NYPD because one of the things, and it's just like any other um, job, we always need to continue to train and train and train. Thank to, you, brother. Uh, that way, that way, it avoids um, any mistakes between whether it's the cop itself or between the cop and. Um, um, community and and again for the community for those that don't even like cops just for a second just think about think about what could happen 
if you're if you're you're not around and something's happened to your loved one, just think about that for a second. And and also, like I said, we need police. Police is never going to go nowhere. It's just it's it's always going to be there. It's needed. And policing, yeah, we could talk about what happened ten years ago. What happened uh, fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty years ago. That's not policing now in 2022. I believe there's way less um, physical force. There's way less, uh, you know, the whole police being corrupt. There's there's way less. It's slim to none. Slim to none. So let's just give these. Let's give the police a second chance of um, doing their jobs. And just remember, the jobs is not easy. So let's 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 try to go out there and support them. The more support we give to you guys. I think the less stress you guys will have because it's bad enough. You guys are not even getting the support from the top, the top leaders or the top bosses. If you'll say. Oh, we appreciate wow, that. Man. Wow. <laughs> All right, Tim, you ended off my friend. That's it. Uh, dude, you blew me away with that statement. I, I gotta be honest. I was pre- I was prepared for battle today. I figured that we're going to get someone on here that's really anti-police. I mean, I'm the most complained cop. I've been, my name has been dragged through the mud and trashed. I mean, I've had lies about me. There's a, 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 a TikTok video of me riding a motorcycle where they're claiming I stole some. You know, I yeah, stole I saw that. Guy. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, we actually grabbed the guy with a gun. And yeah, we have fun. The, the battery died. We were laughing. I still laugh at the video. And I was ready for battle today, man. I, and I was prepared, like I was open, and you know, to anything, any statement you had, I respect it. But you blew me away, and I'm shocked, and I want to thank you. I really do, and man, you got balls, and I, man, I like you, man. I respect you. Thank you. No, thank, thank you. I appreciate, and I appreciate you guys. Um, I appreciate you too, John, for for um letting me join the podcast with you and um Eric, and hopefully I could join you guys again, maybe you know, maybe in a couple of months in the future, if there's any you know new topics that we could you know we could talk yeah, about. Absolutely. And and, and uh, uh, one last message to the community is, you know, if you guys if you guys really want to talk to the trained professionals, and you guys really want to get your opinions out there, come and join the podcast. Whether you agreed or disagreed. Come and join so we can, you know, so we can have a civil conversation. So, so most of this shit that's going on could be knocked off because like, if we just, a closed mouth don't get fed. If we keep having, if we keep having guys like me that support the cops and have their mouths closed, none of us are going to get results. We need more people to speak out for the police, not just politicians, regular people like myself. We're, we're the people that actually vote for these guys. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much. Hey, for the public out there, check us out. 265 Police Live Series. We're going to be out here weekly, and we're going to give the trained eye, the expert police eye, the boots on the ground in regards to videos, police events that are out there. We're giving you the truth. We are the experts. John, thank you so much, man. You got the balls of a lion to stand out there and doing what you're doing, standing up against that mandate and against these tyrants. I got nothing but love for you, brother. 
Oh, thank, thank you guys. And, th- and this is going to be the first of many, by the way. We're going to do. We're going to bring a lot of uh, community members, community leaders on, and we're going to discuss real conversations with real people. So I appreciate you, brother Rich. Thank you for coming on. We'll definitely do it again soon. All right. Thank you, guys. You guys have a good night, and God bless you. Godspeed. You too, brother. Likewise.